This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Happy 100. Happy 100. Welcome to In Class with Car, episode 100. We we are keeping it 100 here today. Hi. Hello. I am so happy to see you and to see everybody. But uh, we make 100 in a row. In a row. Yeah, in no. a row. Y'all try that. Y'all that's try that. And no, you know, we, well, we represent for, uh, I mean, we, we, what, we repeat for emphasis, but every one of our conversations has been unique, even though they all connect in one way or the other. So I felt like I, I was with you yesterday um, at your mom's home, mm-hmm. going, which was beautiful. It was on YouTube. The link uh still out. You can still watch it. Um, amazing um everyone in white which is so antithetical to how we dress in black morning clothes y'all all had on white you looked beautiful the car family singers sounded amazing ah, <laughs> my cousin harold took it back 40 years it's my man the young bull Otto, donnell francis mary i started naming them mike ethel those are the children of my father's brother who lived across the street we uh they he virgil and mary green car ashe ancestors blockbusted uh paris avenue along with a few other pioneering black fa- uh families my my cousin ethel was one of the black girls little black girls who integrated the nashville public schools and then we were uh between you know about about a decade younger than them so we came in you know we're the shock troops of integration in the south um and so um and then my father came on the block my mother and father came on the block and the white man that sold my mother and father the little house that we grew up in across the street from uh, my cousins and my uncle and auntie, they, uh, then the white man turned around and sold the house after he sold it to my parents to a white man. And so my parents had to go get the legendary Z Alexander Luby. Y'all look up Z Alexander Luby, whose house was bombed in Nashville. In fact, he was good friends with a new Jamie Williams and McDonald Williams when they're Tennessee mm-hmm. State. He, he was part of the Nashville student movement. He was the lawyer out of the Caribbean. So all this, we, you know, we're ADOS, Americans, descendants of slavery. Y'all can please take that. I love all of y'all. Please take that somewhere else with that foolishness. Luby came out the Caribbean. His 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 young bull was a cat named uh, Avon Williams. We talk about Avon Williams, who was the cousin of Thurgood Marshall, by the way. Uh, we talk about Avon Williams uh, sitting in the back of the church the other day. But anyway, I, I, I digress. The point is that my father went and got Mr. Luby. Luby went to court and made sure that sale didn't go through. And uh, then the, the process continued until Paris Avenue and that whole community in South Nashville joining the other streets. And we talked about this extensively over Thanksgiving when I came back. It was a black community. Now it has been gentrified. Uh, the pilgrims are back. Um, and uh, when my nephew Ellington picked me up at the airport on Wednesday, we went to the house and there was a little handwritten note on the door and said, oh, I'm your neighbor, so-and-so. I live down the street uh, wondering if you're interested in selling your house. Here's my number. And uh, I said, so, El, what you want to do? He just started laughing because uh, clearly you don't live down the street. You bought probably a property down the street that you flipped. And uh, I told him, well, I'm going to save her. Your uncle's going to save her the, uh, the joy in calling this number and having a nice conversation at the end saying, well, um, you'd have to send that deposit to hell uh, because that's where you will be uh, at some point. But as long as you're on top of the earth, uh, that's where you would have to transfer that cash uh, because it will be a cold day there. 
before you in fact get this plot of land back brother click so at any rate uh yeah welcome to nashville w welcome to this set the state but anyway that those were my uh my uh, uncle and auntie's children my father's brother and sister-in-law the car singers um good steady church of christ folk which should tell you something if you know about denominations uh yeah as jeremiah wright preached that third leg of the relay we split into factions and denominations but at the end of the day look who's in the stands we all come together on that so i was grateful that you joined us that so many others over a thousand have streamed yeah. and joined us and that they you know i hadn't seen anything so i hadn't seen the chat i just looked in the chat this morning as i was coming in i just got in from nashville uh not even an hour ago to sit down and you know the blessing of being an african person there wasn't a way of knowing that wasn't represented yesterday nothing you know you think well what about the muslims uh, musa when the brothers on the drums in fact was, I mean, so it was yeah all there and ain't gonna be no beef because as you say it reminded us with frankie beverly and i put in the obituary we are one so thank you for that line as well, because it was in the front of my mind because of that. <laughs> and and your, your mom, you know, to have her read her own obituary was so powerful. And I want to, you know, just because I, we're, we're eventually in narrative going to have a space where we're going to teach people how to extract all of that goodness from from our elders. But when she, when I heard, I was like, we all should do our own. We should tell our own. Hello. We should tell our own life story so no one can get it twisted. That's that right. was out of her throat, out of her voice, out of her spirit to let us know who she is. That's and right. um, shout out to my mother's mother's namesake, my sister Gussie, who kept a tape recorder around my mother, particularly the last years of her physical hmm. life. And she recorded most of that, almost all of it, in fact, uh, on the 14th of January. That was five days before she made transition. Wow. And so my mother, in fact, uh, one of the last phrases that she uttered before you heard my, my nephew, you heard Ellington say, I mean, right up until the moment when I, when I spoke with her a few hours before, you know, making out the words as she lay there. But one of the last things she said is, as she, as she narrated, and if you all hear that, and by the way, the, one of the inspirations for that was Martin Luther King of course, who gave his eulogy at Ebenezer Baptist Church. It's, 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 it's the small recording that we refer to as the drum major instinct. He said, at my funeral, tell him not to preach too long, tell him not to tell him where I went to school, just tell him I tried to stand up and help somebody. And so it's like, of course, is what you say. I mean, of course, let the ancestor speak. You know what I'm saying? If we believe, as my cousin Frankie Lane representing the Hayes side, all them Alabama Negroes, I was so glad to see all of them when they showed up rolling deep on Thursday night, I said, see, when when y'all come around, I just feel like going and just just like picking a fight. You know, that's them southern niggas. They just want to. That's what. And a uh, special shout out uh, to uh, Kennard, to my cousin Kennard, who is my uncle Thomas Hayes Jr., who's Thomas Hayes Senior, my my granddaddy's son. Uh, this is his grandson, and all these cats now are in their forties and fifties. But Lenard, I mean, uh, Kennard went down to the. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not I, I have so many doggone cousins. Uh, Kelvin, Kelvin, Kelvin went down to uh, the home property and went to for, uh, um, the church and got dirt from my grandmother and grandfather's graves and also my uncle Doc, who was named from my grandfather's father, Doc. 
and all of his family and brought it and also brought a little piece of wood from the house my mother grew up in so that i could put that with her because she her physical remains are in tennessee but she was she from alabama born on a pallet on the floor in alabama so we had to make sure all that but i mean shout out to them because i love all of them alabama negroes <laughs> so you know and all of that was so instructive for how we keep it together you know we created this space two years ago almost um 100 episodes now as a safe place for us to come together to remember who we are that's right. And to put the pieces back together so that we can move forward and build the world we want to live in. That's right. And so watching watching that, and your mom uh, wrote this down too, her, one of her last words was greet them and tell them God is real. That's what I was going to say. You got to see, that was one of the last things she, right. Say, I'm here at the door now. She was ushering people in. So then I'm, she said, y'all come, y'all go out the front. I'm going to go out the side. She, I mean, everything she was saying, and she said, greet them and tell them God is real. She's there at John Henry Clark said something very similar in his obituary sitting there at uh, Abyssinian Baptist Church in July 1998 at his transition. And he yes, his physical remains are buried near where my mother and father met in Columbus, Georgia, because he grew up. You know, he's from right next door to where my mother is. In fact, a lot of my cousins, in fact, my my brother, I say brother, we don't drop. We dropped the in-laws. You heard from Randy, my, my, my sister's uh, husband, my brother, you know, they graduated from the same school John Henry Clark went to. So at any rate. Clark said in his obituary, oh, I see Christ coming. Now, John Clark is a Pan-African nationalist like me, so Jesus can be swapped out with a million other names. Again, what you call a thing is not as important as we studied in the Miseducation of the Negro, but he said, oh, I see Christ approaching. He is, in fact, Black. <laughs> so, so, at any rate, I mean, so my mother, who, yeah, and of course, now in my ear, I can't get out of my ear a song that we decided not to, to have because again, it's a celebration. And so you got to really weigh that rhythm because that blue note is very powerful. When you hear the uh, the funeral dirges of the Akan singers, in fact, I, I bought a copy of that uh, famous tone, the funeral dirges of the Akan people in the shadow of the British Museum in the year 2000, I was over there for a conference and I'm scurrying through the bookstores of, of, of London. And I found a copy of the reprint of the uh, funeral dirges. When you hear the blue note anywhere in the funeral ceremonies of African people, you have to be very careful in how you use it because it can take you somewhere else. You heard uh, a young brother who grew up with my brother, Jeff uh, Monterey Lee, who was a minister, who, who was presiding minister yesterday, who said, you know, I, I finished libation. He said, see, I was getting ready to run. I'll run in here. I'll sing in here. And that's always the case <laughs> with our people. So you got to be careful how you calibrate the blue note. But my mother, with those last words, you know, God is real. Tell them. God is real because I'm here in the thing now. I've, I've moved, as my sister Gussie said, into that space. Well, you know, I, I in my mind, I kept hearing, yes, God is real. I don't know if y'all know an old song. You had to get that. That's one of them old, good old, good ones. Yes, God is real. Yes, God is real. For I can feel him in my soul. Yes, God is yes. God is real. You, see, when you start singing that dope, that may go on 10, 15 minutes, and then you never know. In fact, when they started singing that first hymn, I turned around to my uh, my cousin Mike, my cousin Ethel's husband. I said, Mike, you have to open the doors of the church, brother. <laughs> These Negroes keep singing in this way, which is why I was grateful that when the car singers got up there, uh, my cousin Donnell, who lives in Jersey, led in Swing Low Sweet Chariot. So you put that in there, and of course, that was one of the songs that fits Jubilee Singers. A lot of Fiskites, a lot of Tennessee State folk in my family. 
my cousin Hugh who told who, they love that story about me reading the newspaper. I'm like, Lord have mercy. But at any rate, uh the when they sang Swing Low Sweet Chariot, of course, Fitz Julie singers kind of popularized that in Europe as they sang through, among others. But then when Harold came back with uh with uh heaven is just a step away i'm like come on right, that's close enough to the blue note because if you if you do too much you know the funeral gonna be over because <laughs> you know these Rose will turn in something else and here's what we weren't going to do as african people and you heard baba umar jute who was the leader of the underground railroad formation which elevated the five queen mothers uh, that we wrote about um, Sister Usuri and all of, all of her sisters who joined my mother, Queen Mother uh, Kathy Carr. When we say Queen Mother, it's not just a general honorific. You know, they were elevated to the status of Queen Mother in the, in the 90s by uh, Baba Umar and his family and the community in Nashville. But I, I set out to say that you heard him give a libation strictly in Yoruba that he then translated into English. And it's very important to understand, as our, as our sister Yvonne Jones, uh, who was present along with Ife Carruthers and so many others who watch out of Chicago, reminds us it is Amun and Amunet, who, although unseen, are the source of all life, power, and health. But Amun, Amunet, uh, that comes from the same word that the Muslims call Amin, and you know we say in English, Amen. And so when you're praying that at the end, I mean, it's a very important point to be made as a didactic. So finally, as in as you've said in narrative. In general, in Nubia, the the importance of listening to our elders, of recording, as Frankie Lane said, my cousin Frankie Lane, he said, you know, as he finished, he said, well, I guess I said, but uh, I hear Auntie saying, I'll talk to you later, which she will. She already, she can't talk. But as Frankie Lane said, a very interesting Alabama, Georgia articulation of that concept of libation. He said, those who are after us physically, they can't talk directly to the ones who brought us here. My mother was the youngest of her siblings, and now she's with the rest of them in the ancestral world. And so when, uh, as, as Lane got up, my man Lane, and, and we call him Lane, Frankie Lane. It was Frankie on the program, Frankie Lane Davis. And, you know, Lane said, you know, when I hear Lane, I know, I know that's, that's auntie talking to me. And he said, the, the those came after us, they can't talk to the ancestors the way we talk to them. He said, I can, because I knew them here. And so they're in my soul, they're in my spirit. He said, but now these coming after us, they got to look at us. He said, that's why you got to stay on the straight and now. It was a beautiful articulation of that very real concept. We talked, I don't know how long, last year, um, when we talked about Hampate Ba, who we opened the obituary with. Um, Hampate Ba, who talks about the Jolly. Um, of course, the jolly, a word which literally translates as blood. When you start, not griot. Griot is a, a decent, nah, I'm not even going to say it's a decent word. Let's just take griot and give it back to the French. They have a social structure problem too. You can take that. We're going to take concepts from Africa. We're going to do what Jacob Carruthers said, break the chain and link African ideas to European ideas and just, you know, talk to our ancestors without interpreters. We don't need an interpreter. So jolly means blood. Every ounce of blood every atom in, in these physical bodies that we have comes from the two people that came together and gave life to us in these forms and so the whole concept of jolly means you know you are carrying on a physical tradition and then the job the doma 
an elevated form of jolly. Got to say it correctly. So there were a lot of domas yesterday, a lot of bloodline domas, a lot of community dom, dom, uh, domas. You know, shout out to uh, our, our dear brother and sister, our dear brother and sister, uh, Jerome and Mary Morris, uh, hardcore academics. Um, Jerome now there in St. Louis. Um, Jerome is a professor there. He taught at University of Georgia. He and my brother got befriend each other almost over 30 years ago. Who talked about how you heard him say, you know, Miss Carr saved my marriage. <laughs> and then Mr. Carr, who my father, yeah, I got my gentleness of spirit, I think, from my father. But that whole like, no, this is how it is, straight up and down. Either way, you gonna pick, but I'm gonna say what it is straight down the way I see it. That's my mom. And together it was a very different you know, upbringing, but Jerome talked about that. So all those community, those are Doma. Those are the highest form of Jolly. And so, uh, yeah, it's very, uh, very important. And we're going to help people because if you watch that or anything like it, we're not pioneers in this. There's a lot of all that, you know, we see, but if in that moment, if that resonates, it's a powerful reminder that we have never forgotten and never stopped being who we are. But it's also and it's also a, an important reminder that for us, those of us who claim to want to be teachers and my mom wanted to be a teacher and she absolutely achieved it. She She's a master teacher. You understand? As my nephew said, she didn't had a paper. She, that paper is of no relevance. That's why I don't have no respect for paper. Well, you could see it in all all of you. When Gussie got up there, I was like, <laughs> uh, uh, all? No question. I was no like, question. Is everybody brilliant. Everybody. Mm -hmm. and the grandchildren got up. I'm like, is so no. there, obviously there's something going no. on. No, well, Africa, we do. Oh yeah, and please, I'm so happy. You know, and and when my when my when my nephew said my mother was the queen of the one liners, absolutely, you saw it in her granddaughter when Eden got up because they they called her Gussie all because <laughs> she looked just like my sister when she was a. She said my name is Eden, not Gussie. <laughs> now that that's out the way, let me give you my poem. But that you know, when I said we're not remarkable. What I meant was we're all representatives. So that resonates, you know, in many ways, the fear of death is irrational. Even if you just want to be rational, you're agnostic or atheist, you know, well, guess what? We all going to die. So the idea of fear, I think, has more to do with, at least with the Western religions, certainly. And by the Western religions, I don't even mean they necessarily originated in the West. I mean, they were borrowed. There was a white couple there who uh, looked in, took care of my mother, helped take care of my mother for for, for years. Um, and, you know, the guy is Catholic. And we were talking and I said, well, you know, one of the reasons why, because he was he was saying, I've never seen anything like this. And I said, well, you probably have, but you may not wouldn't have recognized it. And so you're Catholic, right? He said, yeah, it's okay. I said, you know, a lot of the people who got brought into enslavement most of our ancestors, less than 6% of us who ended up in what is called this settler, this God forsaken settler state, Amir Locke. And back, let's 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 just fix the hashtag now for all the gentrifiers I saw with the, with the signs and the Black Lives Matter signs in all, all these formerly black neighborhoods in Nashville. Y'all should fix that to abstract Black Lives Matter. Just fix it, okay? Because uh, shout out to the Patterollers representing uh, the, the Minneapolis branch of Devils Incorporated and uh, wholly owned subs subsidiary of no humans involved global for the murder of Amir Locke, um, you murderers. But we know who you are. See, when you know who these people are, then you don't you stop talking to them like you don't know who they are. We're gonna come to Jim Clyburn in a minute. 
clearly didn't get the memo. But it's okay, Baba. I understand. I mean, you get to a certain point, you're thinking about legacy. And unlike those who, you know, confuse ego and legacy, who confuse celebrity and legacy, mm. you probably don't, you probably are looking at the, you know, the, the former and not the latter. I mean, if you want an example of not confusing celebrity and ego with legacy, you probably want to look at my mama and, and millions of other black women whose names you don't remember because they didn't run for office. They didn't try to get a, a contract. They didn't go singing buck a dance. To get, they, didn't, they didn't recognize, they didn't recommend in this HR uh, 301 that I just read that the uh, that lift every voice and uh, and sing become the national hymn because there is no nation. There is no we, uh, Congressman Clive. And I'll tell you what, though, as an affected official, perhaps you could get after them patterollers in Minneapolis who seem to think they can knock on random ass doors and then bust in on a brother who had a gun because he's a DoorDash delivery man. And then when he's trying to defend him, himself kill him paterolas in minnesota understand the only time you're gonna stop is when we stop you if you kick in a door and get your head blown off about three four times you might think twice crying jacob Frey, the mayor of minneapolis minnesota the tears but i know the tears probably got you reelected. but let's just pause and understand that you told them no more no not warrants and they told you on tape we're hunters it's what we do so here's the thing the hunters will stop hunting when the hunted decide they're gonna turn around and hunt themselves see i'm gonna go read some damn out of be wells but anyway let me walk that all the way back to the point i was trying to make which is in that moment in that moment when we think about where we are and where we live, the ritual that we represent, well, we kind of, you know, went through yesterday and this whole moment of, 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 of transition is a reminder that we all going to die. And as I was standing there yesterday at the repast, talking to, to, to this cat, and he was saying, I never seen it. I said, well, you Catholic though. I said, the Africans who were enslaved in this hemisphere, most of us came to the Caribbean first, only about less than 6% came directly to what is now the United States of America, this wholly owned subsidiary of no humans involved. We were, our ancestors were enslaved by the Spanish and by the French, the Dutch and others, but the Spanish and French Catholic. I said, so what the Africans did was they then hid their ways of knowing up under the Catholic saints. Why? Because Catholicism is very flexible. I said, that's why it's intriguing. He said, oh, I said, yeah, in Catholicism, you can play directly to God or better yet, since y'all in Europe turned it into a transactional practice. You pray to the to the priest who then goes to God on your behalf. They turn everything into a hustle. But you got all these other representatives of the divine. You got somebody for the homeless. You got somebody for the for the people who ain't got no money. You got saying I like I like I love St. St. Francis of Assisi. Francis of Assisi is humility. I'm saying so, you know, but I'm saying. Looking at all those, the Africans was like, okay, I said, so when you see the Virgin Mary, when you see St. Patrick, when you see uh, uh, him driving the snakes out of Ireland, that's Dambala, that's Vodun. And they looking at you and you think that's just a regular old white picture. And they're like, yeah, okay. They go Oshun, Yemiyah. But y'all don't need to know them names because in order for us to do this, y'all gonna have to think we talking about what you talking about. And so he just kind of laughed as he's all think about it that way. That's all right. That's why you got to have teachers, which is the point of having a narrative, having a Nubia, which is to, for us to recognize that we are still doing our culture. We've adapted it. We've, we've changed it. We've moved them around. But when you, when you can sit back and see the pieces, then you recognize that we never stopped being Africans, even as we added all these other identities. And, and, and some of that, I hope, was... Uh, was being offered in the form of, as the Egyptians would call it, a sebait, a teaching 
yesterday because my mother was and is a teacher. So um, we're, we're going to get to Amir Locke. We're going to get to Jim Clyburn, lift every voice. We're going to get to all that. But I, we wouldn't be here today without a woman who came to my radio show. It was like four years ago. Yes. And she brought a congressperson with her because she was battling behind the scenes of unseen people that you don't know. You may not know their names, but they make things happen. Yes. And she fought to get the Crown Act passed in New York. And now it's passed in so many other states. <laughs> it's allowed for um, yes. black people, basically, but people to wear their hair however they want and not be discriminated against and not lose their jobs. She's done so much uh, that we probably I can't even we spend all day talking about this woman. But she brought you to my show. After that, she came on several times and I mentioned it. And then she brought you to my show. I'll never forget it. Veterans Me Day. Veterans yep. Day, you came in and I was like, where's this man been all my life? Mm-hmm. So I, we're going to celebrate 100. We can't, we wouldn't have won if this woman didn't have the vision to bring you onto the show. You so got I'm going bring, bring it in. Ajua, that's, yes, that's my sister and of course my leader she's the one that makes it happen i am yes. not sure that yes, i are yes qualify you are. for being we'll, your leader yes we'll, um, we'll, we'll talk offline about jim clyburn please pull his coat anyway that's not a song for other people so hey i'm not gonna do that Ajua, hey, what's going on what's up? you know i respect my elders so i will leave that there um thank you so much me too, for me having too. me that's what i'm gonna say less yes yes Thank you so much for having me, uh, Karen, to surprise Greg. I am thoroughly surprised. You should be. I don't pop up often, but I definitely had to be here today because in my view, today is one of celebration Mm. uh, and not just the show, although, of course, that, but at first, just being your mother. We talk about this concept of Mbutu, and we often hear people say, I am because you are. But when it comes to me and you, that is not figurative. That is a very literal translation. In fact, fact, Ajua, tell tell them how we met. That'll help people understand how this works. So I was, oh gosh. Of, of you ain't gonna date yourself. You ain't gonna date now. I know y'all see this baby face and think she's 25, 30 years old. I'm I'm just gonna say less on that, but go ahead. <laughs> I was literally an 18-year-old, a little bit rough around the edges. Little still bit. am. And that. my first day of undergrad, my father, who yes. is your colleague, our dad, of course, who also well, now is a retired Africana studies and political science professor. That's right. My first day on campus, I was a baby in the department. Yes. Big up Ghana. You got shout out Ghana. I'm surprised you didn't shout out your homies. I'm always going to rep Ghana. Don't get it. Okay, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you you are. I am a stone cold black star today and always. So that goes without saying. By way of the East Coast, though. So y'all don't get it twisted. I was born here in the continental U.S., but I, I of course, uh, represent. Um, you know, where you're born and where you're from, two different things. So That's I right. always right. represent Ghana. Uh, right. But my father, who I adore and has been, gosh, has contributed so much to the discipline. No question. As a leading authority on Kwame and Krumah's work. My no father. Kwame Batwe Azmoa, by the way. He, so y'all look him up. <laughs> he um, walked me over to Greg. Literally, I was 18 years old on campus. And he walked me over to Greg and said, follow him. And you will never go wrong. 
that is literal. That is not That's just heavy responsibility to say something like that. Now I can't mess up. You, you understand what that word. He was you talking can't. to me while he was talking to you. <laughs> and so for my father, who has never entrusted anybody right. other than my mother right. uh, with me to be able Shout to your mom that, too. no question. A directive for me. Um, it has held true mm. for these decades. We decades. will not tell my age, but we'll just say decades. Just understand um, that when young people come to me now, uh, one of our uh, loyal Nubians who's actually on her way with her husband to Nigeria for the transition rights of her uh, her brother, who was a, 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 a Nollywood star, uh, King Black, and I'm talking about Aya uh, Fubara Aneli, uh, her brother Caribbean rises like rise an ancestor now. But uh, when her daughter, who was now uh, I guess she's got enough hours to be a junior at Howard, but at my age, she's a freshman at Howard. When she expressed the interest, I said, no, because given her intellect, given her parents kind of, you know, uh, formation, their cultural formation there. And there, I said, there's only one person that I could direct you to. So this young sister, Kosi, became uh, the next uh, of many that I have said, you got to talk to Ajwa. And you always drop everything. She came to campus in the middle of COVID, gave them a tour, sat and talked, put the connection that's what Ajwa does. Oh, in addition to making sure that the way your hair came out of uh, your scalp when you came out of your mother's womb can't be held against you because she is the center of the Crown Act legislation that's being passed all over the, the country now. This is the one you looking at her. That's why that's why her and Karen were together in the first place. And then, of course, I only I only take full direction in terms of not questioning it, even though I might grumble about some things. From a handful of people, y'all looking at one. So she said, I need you. This is when I hear I need you. It's like my cousin Lane said it about my mama. When she when he hear Lane in her ear, in his ear, he know that's her. When Ajwa says, I need you too, I just okay. I need you to get on a train with me because you're going with me to Karen Hunter show. And we okay. I didn't even, you know, okay, I, all right. <laughs> Let's go. So anyway, yeah, but that started with your father, was the point. And I did start with my dad. And and our baby over at Howard, I I just sent her in in alignment with who you've been to me. Not that I can ever be that to anybody mm -hmm. else, but I just sent her two days ago, I think, a link for an internship because she has uh, an interest in politics. And so yeah. I want to make sure that she gets the experience. So I sent her links to um, a paid internship in this space to ensure that I am doing the same thing or at least trying to do the same oh, thing for other it. people that you do. But I am only here very briefly, and I just wanted to um, come up here and, and share that I am celebrating not just this episode, but I really am celebrating your mother. And if you, uh, if yes. you folks had a chance to participate uh, in the ritual yesterday, even if virtually, mm -hmm. when we say I am because you are, um, that and and and, and Thinking about that ceremony yesterday, that was evident mm. that Queen Mother Carr is just that. Like, I am because she is, and not just because she gave birth mm. to you and Gussie and Jeff, but mm. essentially to all of us by way of you. So I wanted to make sure that I came on to acknowledge mom and <laughs> yes. acknowledge this oh. amazing gift to um, our community that has become this in class. With Carr, you always try to give me credit. Well, but it does not belong to me. That's right. Uh, it doesn't. It does mm. not belong to me. But I wanted to come up here and say, you know, I don't share you with everybody. No. Well, really, That's nobody. 
Nobody really. Y'all that includes the president of the United States. <laughs> I shook Joe Biden's hand and put a word in his ear about some stuff we need to be doing for black people. But the only reason I was in that room because I just said, "You need to come with me." <laughs> you go to and I yeah, I, I don't take yeah, you know, she don't take direction from nobody. Not too often. <laughs> well, Very maybe maybe uh, Marsha Fudge and them, but uh, I'm surprised you ain't saying about the devils. But I'm gonna say less. I'm gonna say less because you know I'm I do listen saying. to her. Now that goes without saying, there are very few people who can tell me to do something and I uh, even think about saying no to. She is um, one of those people who I, I, I do listen to. I respect her uh, considerably, obviously. Um, I acknowledge being the legislative strategist behind the Crown Act and I lead this movement on behalf of the Crown Coalition that I co-created with AC and Kelly and Rolina. But it is Marsha Fudge, then Congresswoman, then CBC Chair Marsha Fudge, who first took action as a legislator when it comes mm. to this issue of race-based hair discrimination. It was during her tenure as chair of the Congressional Black Caucus that she penned a letter signed by her colleagues uh, to essentially call out the inherent uh, racial and gender bias um, that was included in this proposed ban on certain hairstyles. So uh, I always acknowledge her for her leadership and all that she does, yeah. much of it, which folks don't know if you're not a complete policy nerd, but that's a bad sister. Uh, I am proud to call her both uh, my past national president and now Madam Secretary. Uh, her leadership is, is, is solely servant uh, and she mm -hmm. does so with, with distinction, but I won't go too much into that. Although I did get a message, Greg, you are being called. There was, I got a text this morning from one of the deans of the college in Nebraska about you. And she sent me a picture. I will show it to you. She oh, sent me a picture of the two of you from Delta Days and she is calling. Oh yeah. When they were all, when everybody was here, you said, That's you it. Oh, of course. <laughs> she is calling for you to come and, and do something there. So I'll have to um okay, I got know, do that separately. But yeah, that is my life all, real the time. Time. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta do it. <laughs> People I know what I'm doing, but don't get this confused. I am hundred percent natural. Oh no, hair curly one day, twisted the next day, blown out the, the yeah, last day. But yeah. my, niece, my niece had an afro, and I'm like, child, you should just do that. But she was in the south, and you know, she had to balance it. She went and got that same thing you got right now. And tomorrow, after, after the rain, after, it'll be looking like Angela Davis again. So and I rock that too. Done an mm -hmm. Afro braids, twists, and it'll be curly <laughs> on next Thursday. So it's the versatility of black hair that I am certainly working to celebrate and make sure that nobody can discriminate legally against us right. based on the way our hair grows out our head. So Karen, I am passing the mic back to you. This oh, is your no. show. I just want to no. come on and shout y'all out and say thank you for what you've created. I do not share my Greg. If you know me, I do not share that man. But this work is so critically important that what he has in his head is something that is a gift to the world and the world needs to know about it. So I am And we And I couldn't have this today without you. Um, and also this is a demonstration about how mentorship and handing batons and how community work. This is how it works. You know, you bring, you bring your brick and Greg, Greg brings the capstone. I'll give the platform, you know, we all can, together. We, we have to work together to get to the place and, and the things you do behind the scenes, unseen, the us, what'd you say? All men, all moon. It's the thing you yes. don't see, but it gets it done. All of the little levers and, 
the strings that you pull, it's not about the celebrity. You know, no, not no. About be, it's not about being seen. It's about the work that we do here. And I'm so grateful to you, Ajoa, for trusting me. Trusting me. That's what it takes for this one. And for me, I'm so protective. It's definitely trust. That's all that was. It has to be trust. Absolutely. (laughs) Y'all continue to educate the world. Thank you for letting me pop in to come and give my congratulatory messages and to wish you all the best as you continue to educate the world. Thank you. Love Love you, Ajoa. Love Love y'all back. Love you, babe. All right, so we're gonna have people pop in, but I, you know, I want you know, still 100. And you, um, you know, I asked you off mic rituals. What, how did Africans did Africans celebrate? Because you know, I struggle with this. I'm like, all right, 100, we'll just do what we've been doing, yeah, keep going. And you're like, no, no, we, we invented um milestones, and you know, oh, sure. you know, and I, you know, I was struggling what to do, what's special about 100. But the great thing about this is this is a long journey that we're on, and <laughs> This is just, we're just at the beginning. We may be at a hundred episodes of In Class With Car, but the work is going to be on for, for years and years, hopefully, um, That's right. while we're here. The work, the work in fact, has, has really, well, the work continues uninterrupted. I'm looking for, yeah, I was looking for, you know, I, I've gotten better over the years. It used to be, I would pack a small library anytime I travel for over a day. But I got on the plane with very few books this time. But the problem is, I have to remember when I come uh, back to home base um I, don't unpack your bag because whatever you were scribbling on you stuck in the pages of the books you had in that bag and if i take the books out before then now i'm in trouble because but i hadn't done it this morning so i had a couple of notes uh, about that i mean yeah i'll never forget karen that that, that, that veterans day weekend because in fact ajwa kept you know telling me you gotta come here so okay i said but but you know i teach and, you know, this is before COVID. And so uh, my encumbrances were very much connected, like many of us, to physically moving. I mean, if I had kept that schedule up, I would have, I don't know how I could have sustained it. I mean, because, you know, back and forth and then running from here to there, doing this and that, getting on off trains, planes, automobiles, buses, and cars, in and out cars, running. My, you know, it was just, it was, I'm not going to say unsustainable because y'all heard my brother Randy yesterday talk about my mom. My brother played in the National Football League uh, for enough years, qualified for a pension. He was in there five, six years. And, of course, he was in a skill position. He was a defensive back, so he wasn't on the line. So he didn't have those. But he had some pretty brutal hits over the years between the, the Steelers and the Falcons and the Seahawks and all the teams he played for, right, uh, the major teams, particularly Pittsburgh. But I said, I'd say that my brother yesterday said, you know, you know, Mama Carr was tougher than any any athlete I ever played with or against. She toughened any other ball players. And so I'll say that I won't say that it was unsustainable because we all know people who have done far less. And as you know, some old folks used to joke, say, Oh, you're a teacher. Okay, let me see your hands. <laughs> your hands ain't rough enough. That ain't real work. I took that as a compliment. Uh <laughs> stand up at Kane Avenue Baptist Church on uh thursday evening with the elders who are still around almost all of whom are juniors to my mother my mother completes i think the set of ancestors who on the mother's board with one exception i got to see sister Inslee uh yesterday but remembering the old days uh deacon overton who you know was a young man he me and my father very close um they have the same kind of spirit you know how that works uh you know we talk about mentoring, but I love the word that comes out of East Africa, the Amharic uh, that Asa Hilliard introduced us to here. And then we began to explore that, you know, the Jegna, 
um, the whole, you know, the Jagna, a person who has insight, who is fearless, who has uh, the capacity to inspire that and help others model it. And Deacon Overton, remembering when he was the youngest deacon on the deacon's board, he was the secretary, y'all know the black church. So I guess they went a meeting and he spoke up to say something. And when the old heads looked around and said, no, no, you don't talk, you take notes. <laughs> And my daddy had to intervene at some point, say, man, look, we all deacons. So we're gonna have this conversation. But 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 I, I bring that up to say that um in this process of learning and teaching, uh when we started this, we were at a very different moment. And when we came up to see you, well, well you were well, I were you, she was coming up regularly with you anyway, and then she said, oh, bring me along the day I could get away from that back and forth all the time was veterans day because it was federal holiday we didn't go in it was a monday normally i'll teach on mondays and wednesdays at the law school monday wednesday nights but it was closed okay so i can get on train that day now i said i'll just say this fast forward to where we are now 100 episodes into the in class which begins because the pandemic shut the world down and we could focus for a moment it's a very we, we cannot we cannot we cannot understate the importance of sitting in what has been going on the last two years and thinking about what it means to be able to focus and recognize we have the capacity to focus anytime we want uh, you know again they had an update on the iphones i ain't buying nothing new until i have to so i was looking for the do not disturb on my phone because it's always on you call me it goes right to the you know you got text me where i'm not and even then i won't see it when i got so many texts so my nephew takes the phone, my niece, and you, of course, let them, here it is, okay. Oh, that's why I couldn't find it. Because the word that leads you to the do not disturb button on the on the iPhone now, even the ones older like mine who would still upgrade the software, the word is focus. <laughs> I said, I love it. So, of course, when you read the biographies of Steve Jobs or you hear the uh, Walter Isaacson book, so many others about Steve Jobs, you know, Jobs, really, a lot of what emerged as the Apple, quote unquote, brand came from Jobs not engaging the sciences in school. Because, you know, Jobs was not white American. He comes out of the so-called Middle East. Right? But... Hmm. What here yeah, exactly? And if you've seen Arabic, you understand. You understand what I'm about to say. He was fascinated. In fact, he took. In fact, if I remember correctly from Isaacson's biography, he took a calligraphy class, and he was in. He, you know, and of course, Arabic. You think about the Arabic language, but then you also see I think Syrian or you, you have to look it up. But you see that. But he said, I took this calligraphy class, which it means mind through fingers onto the pen into the writing, and he says the elegance a form in a line, how to flatten the line a little, how to narrow it. You know, if you know Chinese or Korean or Arabic, you you know, if you understand meta nature, you'll understand the importance of the, the swipe. Well, the Akan, a Dinkra symbol, because Ajwa's people are tree speakers. She, she, she's Shanti girl. Well, you know, father, I mean, she's definitely Ghanaian, black, you know, make ethnic distinction. But the symbol systems, if you get inscribing meaning, which is a brilliant exhibition catalog, Mary Nuder Roberts, uh, was one of the co-editors. I was trying to think of the other co-editors. Smithsonian Museum of African Art did a whole exhibition on writing systems and graphic systems in Africa, inscription systems. You see that. Well, anyway, long story short, Jobs took that class and was hooked with the idea 
of elegance, simplicity, and what they would call, what he would call intuitiveness. That's what drives Apple. That's why whether the other platforms, Google, whatever, may be more efficient in terms of technology or still good. A lot of people get hooked on the Apple because of, you know, I just like the way that's very deliberate. And it wasn't from the sciences. It was the notion of the arts. It was the notion of, you know, people say, well, what are we doing with the arts? How's this class going to help me? I just gave you an example. But that's why I couldn't find the button. And when, it's, when I see it said focus, I just started laughing because that is the gift we can give ourselves. We talked about Dick Nakhan, and who made transition a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the, 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 uh, the uh, brothers in the beloved community, you know, he and Mark Andrews' book, he and Martin Luther King knew each other. But anyway, I'm, I'm not going to talk about that a lot today, but I'm just going to mention that, you know, that question of being in the now, being present, focusing. The fact that we are going to die, guess what? That's guaranteed. So why are you thinking about it now? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You think about my mother literally before the last breaths in that shell that we uh, refer back to the earth as she continues, you know, literally in the last breaths of that said, oh yeah, and tell them God is real. In other words, this is a this is a thing you experience in the moment. So if you say, I don't believe in God, do you believe in life? You, well, you don't have to believe in life because you're alive. And when you're dead, you're going to be dead. So in this moment, focus. Well, when the world shut down, Karen Hunter, we talking, and she said, you know what? I, I, I didn't say it yesterday because, again, we had to do a lot of other things. And, and, and I believe as Chegun Badageshin, my dear friend, uh, Baba Chegun Badageshin, who was the dean at Howard University, College of Arts and Sciences, and a colleague, a philosopher by training, but uh, a Yoruba by birth and training. He reminded me one time, he said, we came out of a meeting and people, he said, you know, it reminds me of something that the Yoruba people say. In order to say something, you don't have to use up all the words in your mouth <laughs> or all the spit in your mouth or all the, no, you don't have to say everything you know all the time. But the idea that what I would have said yesterday, but I realized you don't have to say a whole lot because everybody's saying something. And this is the whole point. We all are coming. And it ain't even about us. It's about her and that conduit, this master teacher, this queen mother. One of the things that was on my mind to say, and I'm glad I didn't say it, but I'll say it now, is that I always wanted to know what was on my mother's mind all the time. And we no, of course, you don't rehearse things at funerals. You shouldn't. Anyway, when I heard Lane say, you know, I won't be like auntie. Uh, she always wanted to know. We always want to know. That wanting to know, I always want to know too. I, always, I just want to know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why we? No, I want to know. I just want to know. Because this don't make no sense. And I know there's a way for it to make better sense than it does right now. Because this is right here. This is, you know. So, but part of that knowing process is being still. And in those early days, as I said, I would always want to know what my mother was thinking. I got to the point where I could see the looks on her face. We had to pay real close attention. You know, but in that moment when you, Karen, said, you know what? I'm just gonna you might I'm just gonna press this button record. I said, no, we're talking about how to be well, so never forget. And then you took it, the file, and you know, put it on YouTube and the world can see. I wish I could, because I've gone and looked at it again, and it it's still and I'm gonna ask you this question right now. Now it occurs to me, and we're gonna continue talking about what I was talking about, but this is part of it. Just like with my mom. But you know, we you know we're we we're siblings. I mean, now among many other things. So I'm looking at you and I say, I'm saying, what was on your mind in that moment when you said, you know what, you mind if I press record? 
because we wouldn't be sitting here now. That direct moment is what opened every narrative. Nubia in class. What was it? <laughs> what was it? I had done. Um, I had just read Southern Horrors and <laughs> did an introduction for it because I had created another platform. Uh, and and I was doing this work right. So it was Nanny Helen Burroughs. I was just trying to unearth all of these people. I think that was a twenty minute conversation. In those 20 minutes, I learned more than I had learned in my entire life about somebody I had just read about, studied, extracted, thought I could write something. And I was like, I, and we were just having a conversation. And I was, everyone needs to, everyone needs to know this. Why don't we know this? And then I'm like, what else do you know? So in that moment, I'm like, I think he knows everything. So I'm going to, every time we come together, ask a lot of questions because it's what I've been trained to do and hopefully start to put this thing together that I have been ruminating on for the last 10 years. Like, how do we, the, the same questions you have, how do we get here and how do we not be here anymore? How do, how do we get here and how do we conquer and dominate this craziness that we're in? Because I know we have it in us and I know we've done it before. So let's put the thing back together because I just think we have amnesia globally collectively yes we do and if, and if we can just start tapping on people hit them in the in the medulla or whatever the hell it is that we're making something perhaps perhaps we won't be here in this place of not just uncertainty inhumanity uh just dread you know like hopelessness and maybe, you know, we can have the kind of world we want to live in because I, I want to be happy. Yes. So, you know, so it starts with us. So that that was what I was thinking in that moment. What else do you know? And can we keep doing this? <laughs> can I hit record? People got to hear this. That's why everyone's got to hear this. Let me just hit record and we see what happens. What a blessing. That makes so much sense. And it also lets us know that our instincts, that voice within, as my cousin Lane was saying yesterday, that piece of those who came, what those who came before us deposited in us that we can't take out because we didn't put in. Because at over these years now, as you've talked, you know, with me and shared with the various formations beyond classrooms and audiences. Again, audiences are very very sterile concept in some ways. I mean, I think about William Clark, Academic Charisma and the Origins of the Minor Research University, or um, James Brundage, The Origins of the Medieval Legal Profession. Uh, I'm talking about Europe, of course, because there's nothing in the world but Europe. Um, talk about this notion of where we think about the classroom and the concept of a lecturer and people listening, the concept of examinations, even the architecture of the European learning formations, very distinct from circles, very distinct from group conversations where everybody has an expertise in being themselves and how a teacher should be able to enter that conversation as a listener and transform. But listening to you, you know, and hearing you talk about and then apply lessons from your family, your father in particular, it's very 
it resonates that that individual moment of inspiration, which is one in sequence with a great deal of other ones, where you talk about the the the, uh, the urban network with SiriusXM, where you talk about your written work, your work as a journalist preceding all that other work, the hub, all of these variations. Always, you know, people will say all the time, we need to get together, we need to build together, and then there are people who do it. And of course, we know that doing it is the demonstration of whether you mean it or not. What Marimba Ani would call the rhetorical ethic is very Western. In other words, you said it and then had no intention to do it. In fact, if you read James Brundage's book, Medieval Origins of the Western Legal Profession, one of the things he says is they introduced oaths in medieval Europe in the 12th and 13th century as they are re reforming the notion of the law to borrow from Roman canonical law to mix it with the common, with the uh, kind of um, kind of indigenous law traditions of the various formations that will come together as Europe at some point and then have this overlay of the church that they're borrowing the structure from he says one of the things they borrow from the church is the oath that's why you swear on swear on something before you testify that's why you have to take an oath before you are admitted to the bar he says but one of the things is you would see lawyers in this early European uh, tradition who having taken their oaths if they violated the oaths, there was no consequence, really. There was no punishment, really. And I just chuckled as I read that. And, you know, I talk about sometimes my students at Howard Law because I have them read from this book, a couple of pieces from different chapters of this almost 400-page book. And, you know, Marima Ani, Professor Ani, one of my jegnas, one of our jegnas, was on my dissertation committee, in fact. And I, I say that because I'm very proud of the fact that in a Western social structure, in a Western academic institution like Temple University, where I was an undergrad when I was a graduate student, after I had come from Ohio, um, from Tennessee to Ohio to Philadelphia. I'm very proud of the fact that the committee that signed their names on the paper that gave me that PhD, that academic licensure, were Africans and not Africans who, you know, kind of get cute with it. No, 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 no. No, no, Ella Forbes, Nate Norman, who was at the ceremony yesterday because he he and my mother were close and all of us love Pop Norman and Mom Norman, who retired from Temple, moved to Atlanta and now works full time as the writing director at Morehouse because he always wanted to work at a black college. And even at this point, by the way, they're right now in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, Mama Rose, his wife, uh, uh, their brother-in-law made transition. And so but uh, Mom went straight there and called, but then pop as we call him pop and dan black my man dr daniel black the author of the coming one of the greatest uh one of the greatest writers of our moment trust me on that uh in fact his latest book don't cry for me was just uh published and i think it's in the, the book of the month club or something like that which is now just to me the social structure recognizing what we've known all along get his book the coming if you really want to get something about the notion of what enslavement tried to do to us and failed to do but they came from Atlanta and Black brought the libation vessel and bowl that I used yesterday. And, and, you know, and, and he did that because he would do that anyway. In fact, one of his sons is, talk about how these things work. One of his sons is, of course, Cedric Miles, uh, who was in Ndugu and Nzinga, which is the rites of passage formation that Dan started decades ago when he came out of Clark Atlanta University and then went back to teach there. But um. He did that because he would do it anyway, but he also he also very specifically did it because when we talked, I called said, Dan, I'm going to pour libation for my mom, but I want to do it with something that comes from the hand of the many who didn't come out of her womb, but who can't. And say, I got you. 
So him and Pop came from Atlanta. They was coming anyway. I'm just saying I to say that um, this notion then of this network that we have, uh, these deliberate acts, the inspiration that led you into all the work you've done, including now saying, can I press record? That happens as our individual choices, as choices of our network, but it is abetted, supported, it is surrounded by and made ultimately powerful by those things we can't see. And so in this moment, for me, in retrospect, all of that capacity that was channeled into that act, happening when it did, at the, near the beginning of a global pan pandemic that had us all indoors, that dovetailed with, you know, as I've said many times, I'm standing outside at my car, across the street from Howard Library, the last day Howard had classes, and I said, we're going to jailbreak the Black University. We just got to figure out how to do it. And then I didn't even get in the car. I made a little video, posted on Twitter, and then went across the street to Sankofa and sat with them and said, look, I'm going to finish my classes and put them on Blackboard for students, but I want to create a YouTube space where I can just do these final lectures. And said, so we got you. And so they loaded all those last lectures for that semester, spring 2020, on the YouTube channel. And I sent the links to the students through Blackboard because I do believe that jailbreaking means creating spaces where we are no longer beholden to any institution that can be compromised easily by social structures who have never meant anything for us except how does this plug into what we doing? That's what Carter G. Woodson was talking about in Miseducation of Negroes we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, so we did that. They got me through the semester. And then... We were talking about how, how do we create this now that we have this going, how do we bridge the format? And then this brilliant sister, this brilliant African out of Jersey says, can I press record? And the rest is hit narrative, Nubia, the hub coming in this thing, all these folk coming, all these new classes that are coming in, those formations. But in that, in that initial burst, that first year or so, particularly through that summer and into the fall, as we were literally forced to focus, we began to, all of us, I think, began to rediscover, discover for, for some, and sit with, because we were forced to sit with, the power we walk around with every day. The power that we walk around every day. Let's say that you believe that once you your body ends, stops, once stop working, once you die, that's it. Okay, so let's say then you would call God whatever that whatever that that animation that Ashe, as Baba Umar and I, and I both talked about yesterday, whatever that Ashe is that begins with after you come out of your mother's womb or while you're in your mother's womb and then ends with with you dying. That's it. Well, if that's the case, then the Ashe is right there. So if you're gonna say yes, God is real, for I can feel Him in my soul. Ignore the gendered language. Ignore the even concept of Christianity, which is a fear-based religion, as is Islam, as is Judaism, because they have been interpreted in many ways almost like hanging a sword over you and saying, if you don't do this, you will cease to exist. Again, thinking about Michael Gomez's book, which exchanging our country marks, the idea that if you don't say, mother, may I, you won't go to heaven. So therefore, I am terrified. I'm driven by fear to ask a simple question. What must I do? 
to be saved. Well, step back from that for a moment and look at it the way somebody would look at it that says, when you're born, you're born. When you die, you die, and that's it. Okay, well, then while you're here, focus. And if you focus, again, this is the transcendentalist. I mean, this is the so-called East. You know, all these directions are meaningless, really. But, you know, I think about Thich Nhat Hanh and them saying, you know, if you just that moment, you can bring it back in a split second. But imagine months of that. And that was the momentum that allowed in class to breathe. And we're sitting here on Saturdays. Ain't nobody going nowhere. Hell, I'm worried about toilet paper. Well, I ain't worried about toilet paper. I got to get something to eat. Well, I ain't worried about something to eat. I gotta, okay, you know, okay, the computer works. Okay, I don't have a computer works. Okay, well, I got my phone works. Okay, well, let me just tune in. Oh, 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 this is interesting conversation. Here I'm And then, okay, we need a platform where we can keep this going in a way beyond the capacity to intervene. So let's create this space. And then, now this is going on parts in your mind, right? Because I'm trying to read you. Right? I'm not, then I said, I'm not trying to read it. I'm here. We're working all together. We all bring our stuff. He said, okay, narrative. Boom. Okay, now we got to think. Nubia, why? Because we need to talk to each other and have the ability. And then, you know, sitting there, now what happens finally is this. I said fast forward, but we started there in on Veterans Day. It's before COVID. Come forward now. Wait, one stop. Veterans Day. It was in 2019 when it came. Me and Aj came up there. Yeah. Aj brought me up there, right? Yeah. So then the next time I came, I got on a train and came to see you. February, did Black History Month. And then we sat in the lobby afterwards, Sirius XM, chopped it up. It was beautiful. We had a conversation about Carl G. Woodson. We sitting there, you know, continued the conversation, right? And then that's 2020, February. I go back. You know, now, you know, in fact, I was going to get on the train, come back to D.C. And you were like, you, you want me to get you ride with us? And no, I'm good. I love the train. I love New York. I just love being around people in that context, particularly anonymity, because now I can just listen. But if I encounter somebody, we have a conversation. I ain't got to worry about who they think I am, who I think they are. No, we just, you know, and you just learn. You listen, right? It's a gem in the ancient Egyptian. You listening. You're enjoying life. You know, the Egyptians would say, live your life, as Dr. Obenga would say. Another member of my committee with Marimba Ani and Jacob Carruthers and Nate Norman, Pop Norman and Ella Forbes. I mean, you know, that black committee that made the provost at Temple cancel all her afternoon meetings and walk over to the hall where we were defending our dissertations, myself, Mario Bailey and Belithia Watkins, because the word got out that there were several hundred black people in the auditorium with three dissertation defenses scheduled and they'd seen nothing like it in the history of the university and it was all black people. So the provost, this white lady, I, I, I'm getting ready because I went last. I'm getting ready to go use the, the, the boys room before I come back in and this is white lady sitting in the back. What you doing? Oh, the provost. How you doing, Dr. Dillon? What you doing? I, I, I've never, I just... I just okay. See, you thought you ran this place. See, Negroes here. No, they we run ourselves. And so, what we're really doing is giving your place legitimacy right now. But what I wrote about African centered philosophy of history in the contemporary era, its antecedents and implications for uh, world history, what I wrote about was vetted by them. And I never forget Nzinga uh, Radabisha Heru the president then of the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations, now an ancestor, uh, hardcore African from Mississippi by way of Minnesota, uh, not too far from where uh, you patter rollers murdered that brother, Brother Locke, the other day. Um, and Zingaradabisha Heru, who uh, 
stood in the back of the auditorium at Tennessee State in 2003 when we had the association meeting in Nashville. And my mother was one of the Queen Mothers in ASCAP with a number of others, Queen Mother Melba Franklin, uh, Amina Mayo, so, I mean, so many others who are now ancestors as well. But the two of these, uh, two of these black women standing in the back is hardcore African, drum beating, libation pouring, Egyptian hieroglyph reading. Some of the people that are children who have been cut off from their memory and are listening to other people, interpreters would call hoteps and think that's an insult. It's, it's really tragic what miseducation does to us. But uh, the two of them in the back holding each other's hands, moving up and down, singing old spirituals from when they grew up in the church. So y'all get to understand, y'all get, you got to focus to see who we are. You can't put us in these boxes. Anyway, I, I set out to say that at the end of our dissertation defenses, Nzinga, who had flown in from L.A. and met up with her sister, uh, Yasantiwa Blake, Dr. Blake, Annette Blake, who was principal of a school in here in, in, in Maryland, uh, also, you know, one of our ASCAC officers, they came to the stage with certificates that had been created for us by these two young sisters um just barely into their teens blood sisters from los angeles jamie and debbie thomas um jamie thomas now has a phd she's a professor of linguistics does a lot of cultural work and studies her sister debbie has an md uh, she's a research scientist neuroscience uh they were like 12 and 14 or something like that or 13 and 11 or something they had made handcrafted uh certificates of completion an award of PhDs. The provost of the university is sitting in the back of auditorium packed with black people. And most of these Negroes, North Philly, from came from Baltimore, DC, New York, these, and, you know, and like in Zinging them from L. These are the Negroes who, like my cousins in them from Alabama and Georgia, that when you see them, you just almost want to go pick a fight because you know you're going to win. So <laughs> these are Negroes like, say it again, say it again. These are, you know, so they all in there now. She's sitting there realizing, even though this thing, these dissertations ultimately have to have the signatures of the graduate school, myself, the president, whatever. At that moment, she realizes you have no authority. We don't enable you to be able to have because these two little girls just sent our completion documents from the West Coast. <laughs> And they delivered them by this African sitting up here named Nzinga Radabisha Heru, whose birth name was Clyde Parker. <laughs> from the Rondo community, the maroon community of St. Paul, Minnesota, because of Daddy A.B. Parker moved up from Mississippi, said, I'm leaving the United States. I'm getting as close as I can to leaving the United States without leaving the country. And that was Minnesota, God bless him, and his mother and her mother. And the provost realized you just gonna have to, you're gonna sit here and watch this. And at that point, you become a student and you recognize what is happening. And in that moment, you recognize that these, these spaces that we're in can be made to work for us if we're not afraid to be who we are. Mm -hmm. And what narrative and Nubia become is a virtual extension of that kind of maroon intellectual work that is community-based, not based on where you went to school, how many degrees you have, no. It's based like my mother's life is based on teaching and learning. And when and when you heard them say, my, my, grand, my, my, my nephew say, my mother was a teacher, she didn't have a paper. He was right technically, but that social structure paper also is not necessary because my mother was trained by teachers. I sat with my cousins yesterday from Alabama and they talked about Mr. Ms. Tarver. Ms. Tarver taught school. Ms. Tarver was the principal, uh, Mr. Tarver was the principal at the Uchi Valley School. My mother went to school in Russell County, Alabama, same place Janet and Michael Jackson's parents are from and I, and, and, and I, uh, mother is from. And I know that, that was covered extensively in the Janet Jackson. Was it? It was covered extensively in the Janet Jackson documentary. Yeah. Right? Mm hmm. 
Okay, good, good. That's important because the, the idea is that they were, my mother was shaped by teachers. These are the segregated teachers in the South. These are the women and men, many of whom lost their jobs after desegregation, as my dear friend and colleague uh, um, from the College of Education at, formerly at the College of Education, before that, Clark Atlanta University, uh, great educator, um, Leslie, Leslie Swigert now, but um, she is publishing a book that's coming out now this month called Jim Crow's Pink Slip. She has been working on this pink slip for a long, uh, Jim Crow's pink slip for a long time. This is the story of how they screwed our teachers during, oh, desegregation, integration allowed us for opportunities. Yeah, what happened to all them black teachers that taught my mama and my Aunt Carsey, Frankie Lane's mama and Jeanette mama? What happened to those teachers? Those teachers who, because so what they'll tell you is the narrative is, oh, Dr. Carr, you got a PhD, he's first in his family, blah, blah, blah. you know, his mother and father couldn't even finish uh, junior high school because Jim Crow. Okay, y'all take all that social structure narrative and you dump it in there with your master, the one you love so much. <laughs> the one you love so much, it hurts for you to say anything in a faculty meeting or an administrative meeting, or that might get you not in put in the documentary. Uh, you know, it says you gotta, you gotta, you gotta say the thing that you, you know, you don't really even believe that. And, you know, we're gonna talk about Cosby. You know, you don't really even believe, but then maybe you do believe it. So you know, y'all gonna stay with that social structure. But when you think that somebody who didn't get past the eighth grade somehow had a disadvantage, you better go and look at who taught them. Because see, when you see me. You see Miss Tarver. I never met her, but I didn't need to because she taught my mama. <laughs> Do you understand? And when my mother says, and then when you heard my mother yesterday, she said, you know, they look at you say, you look like a teacher. Well, what does a teacher look like? I'll tell you what a teacher looks like. A teacher looks like a jagna. A teacher looks like a person who carries themselves with the radiating sense that I can learn something from this person. Y'all had teachers like that. Teachers who you could be cutting up, as we used to say, and ignorant, and then they just when they when they're entering the room, everybody calm down. You heard Baba Jitu yesterday say itutu, itutu, coolness in Yoruba. Coolness. What does it mean to be cool? Cool the tongue, cool the path with fresh water. He prayed that yesterday for my mom. Cool it because she's now entering the answer. Cool the path. Coolness. Teachers. He said, You look like a teacher. You look like a teacher. What does a teacher look like? You know, they really ain't talking about just this. We talking about this. I'm seeing with this, what the Egyptians call the Eve, your heart and your mind at the same time. They're making no distinction. They understand it's a feeling as well. So that genealogy of teaching is not to be found in the teacher education programs. It's not to be found in the, well, are you teaching math? Well, yeah. How? Well, I have a degree in teacher education. Uh, last night, God bless my sister and brother-in-law, my brother and sister, Randy and Gussie. Because, see, they just a little younger than me. They're 50, you know, 56. But God, it seemed like forever. I remember when they were all kids, and certainly my sister, since she was a baby, right? And so last night, when we finally got to where we were staying, you know, they called their friends, and now it's a million Negroes in here. Where did y'all come from? <laughs> and, and, and many of them I've known since they were my sister's age, and she met them, which is usually college or high school. They were all children. To see them now with children who are my niece and nephew's age or older is bizarre to me. It's time. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, another one we said, now nah, we ain't going to get in there because, again, that blue note, you know, time is filled with swift transition. Y'all know that song? Some of y'all know what that song. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, sir. 
Build your hopes on things eternal. Can't you sing that song? Hold on to God's unchanging hand. You can sing all them songs forever. See, I don't hear them songs as a Christian no more. I know songs as an African. Build your hopes on things eternal. <laughs> in ancient Egyptian. Jet in ancient Egypt. Two words for eternity. They were building for eternity. That's the motto of ASCAP, building for eternity. So when I hear, build your hopes on things eternal, it's like when they, you know, so the idea uh, what I'm bringing up is that, you know, time is filled with swift transition. That's the first line of that hymn. That's a hymn, Congressman. You know the difference between a hymn and an anthem? That's the difference between lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring, ring with the harmony of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Yeah, Congressman. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song. Rosemont Johnson put that blue note there on purpose. Full of the hope that the present has brought us. I don't see Ben Franklin in that. Nano, Congressman, I heard your testimony yesterday. I played it with Steve Cohan, the chair of the subcommittee there on the Constitution and the Judiciary Committee. Yeah. Uh, facing the rising sun, let our of our new day be begun. Let us march on till victory is won. Unless you can stop a paddle roller, you need to stop playing with a hymn. There is no national hymn in the United States of America, sir. Need I remind you, I'm going to skip over and come right over to verse three, brother, my favorite. God of our weary years. Who is our? God of our silent tears. I'm putting the children's book in your face because you might need a children's book to walk through this with some illustrations. Thou who has brought us thus far on the way. That could be Miss Tarver going up in the Uchi Valley. You see them going to school, Congressman? Do you see them going to school? Come on now, come on, brother. Thou who hast by thy might led us into the light. Keep us forever in the path, we pray. It's an anthem that can speak to all of us. Yes, it's about the Black experience, but it speaks to all of us. Really? 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 Let's go to the next verse. Lest our feet stray from the places our God where we met thee. Where did you meet your God? And where did the people who taught you their God meet their God? And where did their people meet their God? You better go back and review. In fact, go back to Haiti, Congressman. You from South Carolina. You know how them Negroes in Charleston which was a Latin-based city. A lot of those Negroes came out the Spanish Caribbean, Congressman. One of them islands was uh, Hispaniola. You know what's on Hispaniola now? Of course you do, Congressman, because you were a history teacher, which is why I know this is politics. 
certainly not an intellectual work, no matter how many Ebony Great Hero busts you got behind you on the interviews. Yeah, I look at them busts and I'm saying, what would Charles Drew think? What would I can't read Martin Luther King's mind, but I wonder what he would think. Yeah, since you're from South Carolina, you understand. That those people came, a lot of them came out of the Caribbean, and then some of them people came out of the Caribbean were also on the other part of that island of Hispaniola that we now call Haiti. And then in Haiti, when they started the Haitian Revolution, and we did it in class with that, it was Jean Jacques Dessalines along with Cecile Fatimon when they had that ritual, brother. The boy came on, and it was it was Bookman, Daddy, that said, Daddy Bookman, that said, cast down the image of the white man's God who has brought down your tears for so long. And listen to liberty that lives in all of our hearts. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way, thou who is by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever now in the path we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. You better go back and trace one of my favorite pictures of my mom. We put in the obituary. It's her kneeling at the offering table of the white chapel, 3,800 year old chapel, 12th dynasty, Middle Kingdom, Egypt, saying her prayer. And you heard when the last words on her on her lips in that eulogy you heard yesterday was stand up for Jesus. I don't get caught up in the J-E-S-U-S because when I hear that, I hear Ashe, I hear Odu Marais, I hear Nyame. If you want to fight about it, take it up with Jeremiah Wright. That's only leg three of a four-leg relay. Look who's in the stands. You want to fight. Fourth leg being run by Jesus, but as Reverend Wright said, look who's in the stands. Those are your ancestors. And he named that day. My mother heard that sermon here in How at Howard. Dean, I talked to Dean Richardson yesterday. The, 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 the chapel, Dean the Chapel. He called. I'm sitting there getting ready for the for the thing. He said, Oh man, that's her. I said, brother, it's all right. See, that's how you know home training. That's how you know home training. See, it's Negroes that go for titles and celebrity who try to who mistake that for character. For Iwa Pele, as the Yoruba would say. And then there's people who understand character. They're just checking on you. Like all of y'all. Like the Nubians who showed up at the doggone visitation Thursday night. Amber, thank you, sis, for not only bringing that beautiful card that y'all had an e-card, they printed it out and bound it for my family. For making the donation to the to this fund we're building now for scholarships to give out, because my mom was all about education. As you heard, uh, my brother Ricky and Donovan, Donovan from Bermuda. And then we talked we talked so long uh, Thursday night about Sydney Poitier because that's where Donovan's from. And we talked about that. And all them stories that we talked about, Karen, he was telling us from the of a Bermudan who didn't know any place in the United States. Came to Tennessee State, made friends with my brother. My brother said, you got to come and meet my mama. And now that's her son, too. The whole point is that, you know, that work continues with us now. As Lane said, they don't you can't see her. You got to see us. That's how it works. But I bring all this to say that, you know, if you're going to see this congressman. And by the way, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, there was testimony yesterday. Uh, before the House Subcommittee, Judiciary Committee Subcommittee on Constitution and Civil Rights and stuff. Uh, Congressman Jim Clyburn out of South Carolina, an elder, a brother's done a very, a lot of very important work. Uh, but nevertheless, one of his uh, blunders, and I think it's a blunder, and it's no disrespect to him as an individual. You know, I'm getting a little feisty and fired up about it because I feel some kind of way about it. He's saying that um, maybe we should make, uh, no, not maybe. I'll support making the uh, lift every voice and sing the national hymn of uh, the United States. Uh, I've introduced a piece of legislation, H.R. 301, and uh, it would be important for this hymn, which uh, speaks to the universality 
um, of uh, of American experiences, even though it is coming from African American uh, experience, to be made the national hymn. Do you know the hymn? I know you know the difference between a hymn and an anthem. So I ain't gonna finish lift every voice to sing. But if you want to, I love. I have probably a dozen different children's books that because I, I love. You know, I love the children's books on lift every voice and sing. This is the one illustrated by Brian Collier. Words, of course, by James Weldon Johnson. The reason I love the children's books, we all know that, well, we should know the, the, the hymn, all three verses. The reason I love the children's books because I love seeing how artists interpret, lift every voice and sing. And what you find over and over and over and over again, they love drawing children. <laughs> Why? We think about the future. These, these children's books, artists, they love this that and, and so and i also want to pause here and thank you Reyes, and thank you brother who did the art and i, I look i was getting ready to go to nashville and wednesday morning and just before midnight i had to you know check check my mail room for any mail you know that i hadn't already you know paused with and there was a flat a flat board envelope kind of thing in the mail i said this is too big what is it? i undid it Uraeus, thank you, brother. Because the artist you got to do this. Look at that, y'all. Whoever that is, I'm gonna tell you right now. You caught my mama. I gotta put this on the wall. And then at the bottom, you put the African. Look at that. When you stand with the blessings of your mother and God, it matters not who stands against you. See, you gotta understand that. But that's my mom right there. That's a gift. That is a you know what. As a matter of fact, um, he can Uraeus. Um, <laughs> when well, he sent me that, I was yeah, went, please tell tell Dr. Carl who the artist is and how this all because he was like, Do you think you mind? You think I was like, No, I don't think you'll mind. Yeah, as I told you, Dr. Carl, that was that was the greatest honor and pleasure to be able to honor her and honor you and, and honor the Nubian community in that way. Uh, the, the artist is uh, brother Donald Wooten, uh, down in Georgia. He's a master uh, portrait artist, uh, illustrator. So we we pulled him in and you know put our heads together and, and thought that that would be the best way to commemorate um, it in that way. So so we appreciate you. We love you, and and that's the the, the physical manifestation of of the community's love for you. And, and Man, we appreciate you. I can't. I can't. First of all, you raise Asante son. Thank you, and, and brother Donald, brother Wooten. We got to be in conversation, man. That, I mean, because to ca capture that, the reason, the reason that that one gets me is because the look is that gentle look. That gentle look, my mother's very gentle, but also very, very, very loving and very clear. That's her. And the hands. Come on, y'all. My littlest niece, Kai Kamaria, my brother Jeff's children, and and, and uh, Kanitha, my sister Kanitha. Um, you know, you know they're little, so they they got jokes for days. It's so funny, you know. Um, Kai was like, "Uncle Greg, you a book hoarder? <laughs> really? That's what we gonna do right now?" So Ellington come in the room. Why? Said L, am I a book hoarder? Cause he the one come up here and stay with me. He's he's the oldest, so he you know he come me and him come, and you know we do things that you know 
uncles and nephews do. He went to Kemet with me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we do things uncles and nephews do. You, your daddy and your mama won't let you. You know, you know how that works. So anyway, they ain't old enough. That's an L. Am I book order? He said, yeah. Really? Are you going to sell me out, brother? That's what, that's what we're doing now? I said, yes, I am. And I guess, and guess what? I don't care. And now I know who I can't leave the books to in my will. So anyway, <laughs> but, don't, but don't worry about that because it ain't even going to be about the will because my thing is we have, we'll have an institution. That's what we, look, That's it. what is narrative? What is Nubia talking about? What we're not going to do is turn over no more stuff because you know where the records of the Black Teachers Association is now? There's a great young brother at Harvard, Jarvis uh, uh, Givens. There's another sister, my friend Imani Perry at Princeton. They are heading this multi-million dollar project that's centered at Harvard where they're digitizing all the records of the Black Teachers Association. It's going to make them available to people and that's very important. They have a complete set. It took me years to find them of all the histories of the Black Teachers Association written by the Black teachers who went into the association because they forced the NEA to give them money to do it when they merged their integration remember i told you about leslie's book jim crow's pink slip and they lost their association but i'm saying i'll just say that while the access will be great you think these white institutions are doing that as an act of charity no because once they've digitized them you know how many times their lawyers go over those agreements so now guess what those records are not being digitized by jackson state so when you see our sister out of egypt mississippi uh who did the history of the Mississippi Teachers Association. Yeah, that's not going to be there. Cleopatra Thompson, when you see the history of the Virginia Teachers Association, when you hear the Florida Teachers Association that Mary McLeod Bethune led, that, that ain't going to be at Bethune-Cookman or FAMU. It's not going to be at Virginia State University where my friend McCola Abdul is the president or at uh, uh, or Norfolk State University where my dear friend and master teacher Kalita Nichols Fairfax said, no, Harvard got it. Guess what they not going to get? None of this. No, but we must say less. That ain't important. <laughs> but and you always say institutions. You know they, they yeah. can't beat. And so, so you know that one time we talked about Carter G. Woodson, and you dropped in my spirit how the five, you know, that five on it that those kids, and all I could think right. about was that we need the. And then you talked about Schomburg. I'm like, okay, we got to have a Dr. Gray Carr. And you're like, no, no. I'm like, yes, no. we have to have a Dr. Gray Carr library. In multiple places, including in Africa, because this lifelong collection of knowledge that you have assembled, and this is mm -hmm. just a, maybe a tenth of what you actually have, has to has to be left for all all, all of our our children's children's children. It, it can't go to them. No, but it will if you if people don't miss. It. In fact, I'm glad you said. Well, the reason I say when I, when I kind of shake my head about that is because. I wouldn't want a library name for me because I have an African name, but it's not in the African language. Okay. Because as last week, I told y'all, my mom still mom tells a story that my daddy was in the army and I was laughing because I was with my cousin June yesterday. I mean June, short for June Bug, not even Junior, which probably was where June Bug came from, but Hugh Smith. <laughs> he and my he and my sister Kelly, they came up from Atlanta. June's the one spoke talking about me reading sitting there in the floor with the newspaper. My daddy mom was there over in the house. But you know, all of all of our uncles, uh, my daddy, his daddy, who wasn't bloodline, married my father's sister, but all of our blood uncles, my father's brother Virgil, his brother Charles, uh, his brother A B, uh, 
which stands for AB. Some of y'all know about that in the South. Um, and Bill, them Negroes was drafted. Four of them got drafted to go to World War II. Charles was the baby. He wasn't too old to go. But later on, he got pulled in. See, this is the period now, Korea and Vietnam. And so all that saving private Ryan BS, y'all be ready. Yeah, it, it don't apply to us. We was just sitting here talking about that. Me, me and Hugh yesterday. But I'm saying I have to say that my father was in the Army, World War II veteran, and like my uncles. And he met a guy in the Army who had a son named Greg. He said that was the smartest little boy he ever seen. And if he had a son, he wanted to name him Greg. So they wanted, they see, a lot of people say, oh, you're so smart. He said, first of all, if I have any gift, it's representative. It's not unique. My point is that we all have these gifts. And I will spend whatever left life breath I have left in this shell constantly reminding us, stop listening to these people. <laughs> and stop listening to anybody who will have you believe that we can't all do so. Even as we all have individual things we can do maybe better than other things, a great deal of this is just exposure, awareness, immersion, and surrounding with institutions. I promise y'all that. I promise y'all that. I know that. We know that. We all know that. I mean, but 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 to the point, Greg then to me, that's an African name in the sense of the intent behind how I get this name. But it's not an African name. Car. Well, that's just that's just a uh, that's just a, a label for a criminal enterprise. Oof. I'm just saying it's no different than Hunter. It's no different than Black or Brown or Washington or Jefferson or Jackson. These are just names. I mean, Washington, Jefferson, Jefferson might be different in the sense, or Black may be different in the sense that coming out of enslavement, people of African descent, given their choices, so some of them become African names, believe it or not, because they were like, well, who's the most important white man in y'all society? George Washington. Okay, my name is James Washington. It's 1865. My name is no longer whatever your name is. I'm going to pick a who's uh, who's president right now? Andrew Jackson? No, no. Andrew Johnson? Andrew Johnson, right? Johnson. No problem. My name is Charles Johnson. <laughs> In other words, these Negroes take your name. So it's almost a very, it's, a, it's an act of self-definition. So I respect that. That having been said, when do we break the chain and link our ideas to uh, European ideas and speak to our ancestors without interpreters? This is the name of the formation of the formation in synagogue that Ayukwe Armaz created, Per Ankh. It means house of life. This is one of the books that we had our freedom school kids read a couple of years ago, Wat and Shimsu, which means the way of companions. In other words, the way of those who come together, who accompany each other to build a new world. There's a good novel, Catherine Adams, down at Claflin, who's one of those people who helps our young people understand how to interview elders and talk with people who we're pulling in the narrative, who is very excited about that. Uh, uh, she has talked about another book I'll have on the shelf here I won't pull called The Resolutionaries, where Aikwe Arma writes about what that would look like. He gives a fictional thing to give a background. This is more of a historical piece and an interpretive piece. There's, there's Baba Aikwe right there. Um, I'm saying not to say that any institutional name for me should allow us to get closer to uh, two things. It should allow us to get closer to breaking the chain. However, however, it should also be able to preserve the genealogy. So if there was this, if there, whatever institutional space we end up in formation, which will be impregnable to our friends who then say, oh yes, we'd like to do it. And then Howard has agreed to allow us to, yeah, well, I, ain't, I don't, I think, do I have a slip of notebook paper left for Howard? Where is that it right there? Okay, let me look. Thanks, I love this. Where you going? Oh no, y'all not getting a slip. <laughs> I can't trust you, Negroes. And the people who tell you that, 
you end up even trying to fire or marginalize. And this is no shade. I'm saying this is a mentality. This is what Woodson, this is why Woodson refused to grant money if the condition was he had to link his association to one of the HBCUs. I, I was graduated by HBCU. I worked at an HBCU. Y'all understand my commitment to historically black colleges and universities. We spent a great deal of time talking about that, even last night with a brother who is the dean at Fisk University. Listening to Kent having a conversation with this brother is a physicist by training. Okay, Grambling State University undergraduate. Went on, got his PhD. Brilliant brother. Has committed his whole life and practice at Fisk for 22 years now of generating new generations of black physicists. And not only that, going into Nashville, into the various communities of black people, this young brother, young brother, I say now, well, he young, he, I think about because he's my, my sister in age, which is only five, six years younger than brother than him, right? But this young brother got, you know, as, um, as another one of my sister's students who is now a professor, she's working out of St. Louis at the, uh, at the Ulysses S. Grant uh, historical site, but National Park Service, um, um, Jocelyn Imani, Dr. Imani, uh, who went to came to Howard. Her sister sent her to me. We were talking about when we met at Howard about wow, 15 years ago almost now. But anyway, she finished her PhD at Howard in history. But we were all sitting there last night laughing and talking. And I'm sitting with them. And she said, yeah, Kent, you over there at Fist, man, you got these young black kids out here making rockets in the hood. He does. He teaches them rocket science. Because he's going, in fact, my nephew Ellington, Gussie gave him to Kent when he was a little boy. He said, because, you know, she wanted to make sure he loved math and science before these people get a hold of him and tell him, like they tell our black kids they can't do math and science. And so Ken had him building rockets, doing investigative science. This is this is how you do it. You gotta have a mastery. So anyway, I sent out to say, so I am all in for HBCUs, but HBCU archives and repositories have not been supported by people necessarily. So in the necessary amount. So when these friends come in who are really looking to have get their hands on our stuff. Yes, we want to help you. So we have a seed grant that's going to allow, and if you can do this right, then we're going, and we're going to give you some equipment. Now, of course, you know, we'll, 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 we will return the originals to you, and then we'll have a copy. So there'll always be, uh, and then you end up with a place like Emory, where they got all your stuff, Mari Evans stuff, and the theater stuff from James Hatch, and man, you got all you, you name it, they got it. W.C. Handy stuff, Carl G. Woodson's private library, the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, sold to Emory. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is what happened. You know, in the words of Ice Cube, you know, and no Vaseline, then let's play big bank, take little bank. The whole point is this. Somebody got to stand up. Damn it. Because the real repository of our people is not in a single page in any of these books. It's in your mom and them. Somebody got to sit with them and just say, repeat what you told me. Except I want to just say it again or just put the tape recorder down. Old folks, you know, particularly old folks, they don't care. They're going to tell it whether you got 50 cameras on them broadcasting to every human being in the world or it's just the two of y'all talking. Some things they're going to say. And so get it. Begin and as you get it, let's collect it. We got a place now. We're building this place. We're continuing to build this place. But but anyway, I didn't want to get, get too far in and see they, they, they invited them young people over there, young people younger than me. And them Negroes was up until some insane hour of the I I went to bed and I said, Oh, miss, I gotta get on this plane because if I miss this plane, I'm not gonna be able to get back in time. Do this. We got our hundreds, you know, and so I woke up. What time is it? Oh, I said, I can't get to the airport now. So I went in there, got my brother, sister, yo, man, 
I think I'm gonna have to. I don't know what my, so I'm already planning. I'm gonna go somewhere here. I'm just gonna fly out tomorrow. I'm gonna find a stream somewhere, find a place I can stream. I can do it from here. And then I just sat down. I said, nah. Randy was like, we can go. I said, nah, you're right. In fact, we got it. Because in that moment, I heard my mom. You know, it's supposed to be an ice storm in Nashville this weekend. We sitting at the funeral home with Ricky. Shout out to Richard Lewis, Lewis and Wright Funeral Home. They also funeralized Jamie Coleman Williams. They were in Atlanta. So we sat Ricky, third generation funeral director. Y'all know how black folk, we real serious. We, man, we talked about uh, our sister Holloway's book, Passed On, before I went uh, down. And we sitting with them. It's a beautiful thing when you sit with black people who know black people, who've been in black, black community for, for years or a century. That's Richard and Lewis, uh, Lewis and Wright. And his daddy came in, who's technically retired, but you know, black people can't really spell retire. I think some Negroes call retire emeritus, but it's just another word for I'm I got keys and I'm never giving them up. <laughs> so we in there, here come out, Mr. Lewis. Hey man, I love the remarks you gave at Mama Jamie's uh uh memorial in Atlanta at Big Bethel. Of course, he's big in the AME church. So I mean his whole con we then we had an AME conversation. All this going on, anyway. Long story short, we sitting there. And the sister who really runs the place, the assistant, right? Because you know, and this sister been there for decades too. Y'all know how it works. You got people who do the stuff you see. Then you got the people who make sure the trains run on time. She says, yeah, you know, we got, you know, we just hope the weather holds up. So, and then of course y'all heard all this stuff, flight cancellations, everything through the Southeast is coming through Texas, messed that up. Oh my God. And then I just got real calm. I said, no, nah, we good. Why? Because I know my mom not going to let it happen. You got to almost believe. <laughs> you know, we were in a generation that came up behind the generation with the caravans and Alberta Hunter and Sister Rosetta Tharp and them. But the ones who came up under them, behind Mahalia Jackson is James Cleveland. And Audrey Crouch and Sandra Crouch. And I was about the 70s and 80s. We singing them songs. And of course, y'all know that James Cleveland song, Where is your faith? <laughs> Except... Faith, my faith is in God, but like the Catholics say, my faith is in God, but I'm going to go through St. Francis of Assisi. My faith is in God, and I'm going to go through Kathy Carr. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There, I got a saint, Orisha. No problem, mom. All good. When I tell you it's supposed to start Thursday night, now me, because as I told him yesterday, my first drug dealer I ever met in person was Thomas Hayes Sr., Coffee, coffee, coffee right now. Coffee, yes, sir. And now, oh my God, Thomas Hayes and snuck a peak. Look, told me to go in there to my grandmama, Big Mama Gussie, which means this happens before 1970. Mama Grandma made transition 1970. I was five years old. My granddad told me to go in there, my grandmama, to Big Mama, and ask her for a saucer and bring it, take it, come, bring it back to me. So I do it. She gives the saucer. I go back in here. He in the back. Took his iron cup. Poured that drug into that saucer. And I've been hooked ever since. You did that to me, Big Pop. It's all good, though. I ain't mad at you. Sugar and coffee. Two of the main reasons we in this conversation, having this conversation in English. Two of the main reasons them people in Cuba have a conversation in Spanish. Two of the main reasons they speaking in French and native. Coffee and sugar. International drug trade. And the first drug dealer I saw face to face and was influenced by was an Alabama farmer named Thomas Hayes Sr. Anyway, point is this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I mean, anyway, and, and I wasn't five. 
my my big mom was still walking around making chicken and dump boy we talking about chicken and dumpling so much yesterday i swear i wish we could have had me anyway them recipes <laughs> you heard jerome talk about that pound cake i suspect yeah. my mother's mother's pound cake you know what i'm saying generationally so anyway to the point because the reason i'm reason i'm kind of saying some of these things today is because again not exceptional representative everybody listening to this if you're of african descent you got a story just like this or just slightly different and together they become the story of us, us. this is the story of us when you sing a hymn you're singing to god when you're singing an anthem oh say can you see uh, no, I can't. Why? I'm actually in a field in Maryland. I'm really not at Fort McHenry. Uh, actually, I'm actually on the ship with the British firing at Fort McHenry. Why? Because they told me if we fight you, I will be free. Then they may betray me, but you, Mr. Key, been talking about sending us all out the country or enslaving us because you kind of like slavery. So when you ask me, oh, say, can you see? Yeah, the answer to that's going to be no, bruh. So all the people that testified yesterday that I watched the testimony, um, this Republican guy to Utah, who I will not name, the, the, the black Republican, who Burgess Owens, or whatever his name, Owens, man, I don't know, anyway, who, uh, Owens, that's interesting, who has this, uh, he, he supports it too. Well, shit, if you support it, you a black member of the white nationalist party, y'all do understand that there will be white nationalists, including the mayor of Jacksonville, even though the Democratic Repu uh, representative, the House of Representatives supports this bill. Also, the Republican mayor of Jacksonville supports it. That should tell you right there, it don't mean nothing. But a hymn's different than an anthem, bruh. We praying to God, they praying to war against your black ass. Because when you read the third verse of the Star Spangled Banner, Unlike the third verse of lift every voice and sing, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears. You know what a silent tear is? You know what a silent tear is? A silent tear is a tear you cry on the inside and you keep in and you somehow make a way to realize that there will come a generation that will dry those silent tears. Those are the tears that I'm sure my mother's father's mother and father and mother and father, the Doc Hayes and Nancy Hayes and Peter Hayes and Miami Hayes, who then trace back to the 1830s. Those are the tears they cried, hoping that one day they would have children, they would have children, they would have children, they would have children, that will fix this. God of our silent tears. My mother's mother's parents, Ella and Gussie Williams, their parents, come on now. I'm sorry, Ella and Albert. Ella Albert Williams, these are the prayers that they prayed. God of our son, ain't no we, Congressman, there is no we. The third verse of the Star Spangled Banner said the hiring and slave will suffer for being on the wrong side of the so-called American Revolution. So Congressman Clyburn, when you opened your remarks yesterday by quoting Benjamin Franklin, I cringed because you know better. I understand the objective, sir. I don't support it, but I do understand it. You say, I mean, if I say yes, a boss, no, I'm sorry, not yes, a boss. If I say us enough, they might believe it, which is why when I listen to Steve Cohen, the chair of the subcommittee from Memphis, I just came back from Tennessee, Congressman. I just came back from Tennessee. See, because I'm one of them Negroes who inherited my mother's contempt for lying MFs. But also her love for all of us. 
So when you heard Frankie Lane Davis, my cousin, stand up there and say about my mama that sometimes auntie say things I didn't want to hear, it, but I knew she's going to give it to me straight. Well, bruh, I love you, and I'm going to give it to you straight. The chair of that subcommittee, Steve Cohen, who comes out of the ninth district in Memphis. You know what they're doing in Memphis, aren't you, Congressman Clyburn? They have figured out a way, these white nationalists in a state border confederacy, north of the deep confederacy. I'm going to the store looking for my mom's obituary in Tennessee, and you know, they don't print newspapers no more, so you got to catch the one they put out. I'm down there. I'm halfway there before I realized, damn, I left my mask. And then I remembered I was in the South. I don't need no mask. I walked in the damn store for the first time in two years where my face was exposed. <laughs> I'm trying to do this, and I'm looking around like, I guess I'm a fool. And I'm just going up there. So my point is, in that state, but don't give a damn whether you live or die, you see? In that state, where they just passed a law saying you can have open carry anywhere, I'm talking about guns, not liquor. In that state, where they just put a black woman out of the Tennessee state legislature, I'm reading the Tennessean, sitting drinking my drugs, thanks Thomas Hayes, reading the Tennessean from Thursday, February 3rd, the morning of our visitation, here's the Tennessean, I open it above the fold, they talking about building some more Super Bowl ready football stadium stuff, Tennessee Titans in downtown Nashville, they used to be the hood, they cleaned it all off, put them a stadium there, yes sir! F y'all, the only Negroes we want is running up and down the field. Oh, my goodness, but Brian Flores is not Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> oh, well, Hugh Jackson, who is the coach at Grambling, is now like, yeah, everything he said was true. Oh, the young boy who used to be the quarterback, blazing quarterback, then rose through the ranks, was on staffs and coming back. He done told him. What's the brother's name? Uh, uh, which was the Tampa Bay Tom. Don't even take my name out the shit. I know y'all boys. What's his name? Um, Dante Culpepper. Me and Randy was talking about me. Culpepper say, take my name out of consideration because it ain't in consideration. Oh, Flores got y'all shook. Why? I'm gonna have a class action. See, but this ain't Kurt Flood. This ain't the late 1960s where you cut Kurt Flood's whole head off. He never plays baseball again returns to the bottle, dies young. But now everybody who signs a free agent contract should have Kurt Flood name on your mouth. Just like every black college president claiming a record year of fundraising should give 5% to George Floyd and, and, and Breonna Taylor family because y'all act like this happened because of your skill instead of dead ass fear that we're getting ready to burn this. There is no weed, Congressman, but I'm sitting there drinking my coffee. This Thomas Hayes got me hooked on. And I'm saying they talking about building baseball stadiums on the top of the Tennessee on Thursday, but what's beneath the fold? Expulsion is sentence first. They done put this young sister out of the Tennessee legislature, Katrina Robinson, State Senator Robinson, claiming that she embezzled for the first time Tennessee Senate on Wednesday voted to expel a senator for the first time. This the damn Tennessee legislature that bred the Confederacy. You know, Nathaniel Bedford, you was old history professor, uh, Congressman uh, Clyburn, so you know Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, the founder of the Ku Klux Klan in Pulaski, Tennessee in 1866. This the, this the, this, ah, ha, ha, yes, sir. It's okay, though. 
I know what you're doing. I know you want to believe it. I know you need to believe it. I know you're thinking about legacy. I know you're thinking about the future. I know you think that if you can just get the right gesture, that these white people, the scales going to fall off their eyes. They're going to look at you and say, I love you. <laughs> no, brother. You know what, though? Every time you do that, you know who I hear in the back of my mind? Shit, I hear Bobby Blue Bland. I pity the fool. <laughs> that falls in love with you and expect you to be true. Oh, I pity the fool. See, see, that's why they can't let me in charge of no funerals, nothing like that. Cause I've been to play all kind of music. We've been in there. <laughs> Look at the people. And they get some horns. Dun, 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 dun. I know you wonder what they're doing. They just Standing there, watching you make a fool of me. Oh, I pity the fool. <laughs> oh, and then y'all had them hearings on Friday, same day we put our mama's body in the ground. You had these hearings talking about you're going to make lift every voice and sing the national hymn. You better listen to Bobby Blue Bland and a little part of that refrain when he say, ha ha, she'll break. Your heart one day, and then she'll laugh and walk away. Oh, I pity the fool that you I'm singing about is the United States of America, Congressman. I pity the fool that falls in love with you and expect you to be true. <laughs> Look at the people. That's us, Congressman. All the black people. Look at the people. I know you wonder what they're doing. They just standing there <laughs> watching you make a fool. Look at the people. Oh, I know you wonder what they're doing. It's people right now saying, well, you know, I'm sure that some of the people testified yesterday. The author of the book, Anthem, the sister from the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. I'm sure some of them people, while they was talking in the testimony, were saying to themselves, but I like being called to testify before Congress. See, they ain't like Ajua, who would have said, yeah, this don't impress me. Y'all want me to testify? It's not going to work out well for you. In fact, they would never call Ajua. Some Negroes gonna speak truth to power, like Audrey, her father, my mom, people like that. They're not gonna do that. So you're not gonna test. We're not gonna test. People say, "Well, Dr. Carr, why don't they ask you to do more?" I say, "Because a lot of them Negroes know me. Do you really <laughs> want me in there to walk them like a dog through this? Oh no!" But the point I'm trying to make is, and they put her out for some BS. These Republicans. Do you know that the the, the the White Nationalist Party of Tennessee has a 27 to six of the 27 to six, 27 to five, 27 to six. Majority in the Tennessee legislature, that's how they done cut up the state of Tennessee. But Congressman Cohen, Steve Cohen out of Memphis, said yesterday to open the remarks, he said, Congressman Clyburn thinks that this might bring us all together. And I hope that that might be true. I love that from this white Congressman out of Memphis, Shelby County, because the skepticism he said, even in that brief moment, I'm listening, I kind of chuckled to myself. Cohen know what it is, because guess what? They have, uh, there are two Democratic congressmen representing the state of Tennessee from, uh, from the state of Tennessee. One is Cohen from Memphis. Jim Cooper is the other one from Nashville. I'm gonna tell you what the white nationalist party did. And I give y'all a standing ovation, because see, I ain't got no investment in your thing. I know where we live. And I know where it's headed because I know some world history enough to know I know where it's headed. This is from the black newspaper, the Tennessee Tribune. 
I bought this one in the airport because it had Jamie Coleman Williams, my sister, you know, and with Madonna Williams. This is the, they did the front page obituary at Tennessee Tribune. Here's Jim Cooper. He's the Nashville-based representative in Tennessee State Legislature. You see what it said? Rep Cooper won't seek re-election in light of redistricting split. These white nationalists, members of uh, Devilment Incorporated, I won't say devil, won't personalize this, Devilment. That's what my mom and them used to call it. You know, they, they wouldn't say evil because evil is a heavy word. You know, old black folk, it, it's like lie. You can't really say lie. Children, we couldn't say lie. You know, those kind of things. You telling a tale. We had to say tale. Why lie is a heavy word. Evil is a heavy word. They reserved that. You know, certain, the even if even the letters in the word, it was the sound of the word and the inflection of the word, like the way my brother Jerome referred to how my mama slipped his uh, her 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 grandchild Jamoke a piece of chicken, even though she knew that my brother is a vegan. Uh, but it was the way that Jerome said the word vegan yesterday. Like Miss Carl knew that Jeff was a vegan. See, when you say vegan like that, what you really saying is it's the contempt in the in the, in the vegan. You know what I'm saying? And all my Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Georgia cousins, because Jerome from Alabama, they knew exactly what you meant. Not vegan, vegan. He's a vegan. So anyway, my point is that you, you could evil has a has a ring to it, but you you don't even need to add anything. You can say Jesus, or you can say Jesus. You said Jesus. That's like saying Ashe. I'm not even listening for the vowels and and and, and, and consonants. I'm listening for the I'm listening for the phonology, as they might say in Ebonics, not to be confused with African American English. That's a story for another day. But the point is this. When you think about what's going on in Tennessee, these people, you know, so instead of saying evil, they might say devilment. This devilment they involved in, this white nationalists in, in, in this settler state called United States, including Tennessee, they done figured out a way to redistrict in Tennessee so that they can possibly increase their majority in the United States Congress from Six to two, which is what they have now, white nationalists. Memphis black as hell. Nashville black. Parts of Chattanooga black. Spots of blue. Because, you know, the South is never red. Y'all watch them election maps and get confused. I'm saying, y'all, none of us, we know what it is. But they done figured out a way to slice and dice. They done introduced some more white nationalists into uh, um, Cohen's district in Memphis. And they introduced, they want to split Nashville the capital of the, of the state, now the largest city and county in the state, it used to be Memphis for years, now it's Nashville, it's quickly growing, and the white people coming to Nashville is not white nationalists. These these northern, you know, people coming down, like they coming to Atlanta and Charlotte, they love it, you know, they put, they trying to put everybody out of our neighborhoods, and that's a deep problem. And then they put up a Black Lives Matter sign, hashtag, uh, hashtag abstract Black Lives Matter. I fixed it for you. Um, then again, you wouldn't probably put up a sign in the window that would say abstract Black Lives Matter because it seems to me, as I told them the other day, I said, to understand the real function of gentrification, you don't need to map the neighborhoods in the daytime. Just go at night. Everybody with the lights off or curtains, those are still the Black people. Everybody you can see all up through their house from the rafters <laughs> to the town basement, them is the white people. So anyway, the point, so I don't even know if they would put a sign up because it might block the view of their entire house in the middle of the night. But the point is this. <laughs> Curtains? I mean, is this a foreign? Now I got to go research this. There curtains in Europe. But the point is this: when you see they want to split Nashville into three separate districts, why? Because now they got a shot 
at flipping Blue Nashville. Y'all gonna flip Blue Nashville? So much so that Cooper says, shit, I ain't even gonna run again. So the chair of the committee where Congressman Clyburn is saying, let's make uh, Lift Every Voice and Sim the national hymn. And I'll end with this on this after I say this. There's one other thing after this. The chair of the subcommittee is Steve Cohen, who says, well, he says it will maybe bring us together. And, you know, I certainly hope that, you know, perhaps that's true. Cohen lives in a state where the white nationalists are running rampant, trying to cut out another person. And this man over here introducing legislation to bring us together. Cooper knows, I mean, uh, Cooper does too, but Cohen, the chair of the committee, he was justified before yesterday, Clark Clark. No, it's a lie. No, it's a joke. So then finally, this is the last point on this so we can move on real quick. I just want to mention it in terms of Clyburn because I'm just, I ain't mad at Clyburn because I understand that generation. And when you're coming near the end, some people on their deathbed may not say for a recording and tell them God is real. You know, God of our weary years. You know that guy, right? God of our silent tears. Yeah. Yeah, God is real. Some people are going to say, how will they remember me? Who is they? God? No, no, God, these people who I've suffered under and marched and fought and tried to get them to see my humanity. You know those people. What you think about them? Oh, bruh. Oh, bruh. I understand now. I'm sorry. Stop thinking about them. Be here. Be focused. Stay focused. Be here. Remember, you went to South Carolina State. You're a bulldog. The Orangeburg Massacre. You understand what happened in South Carolina. Bruh, come, come on. Come on, Cox. You're a good brother. You know the history. Come on, brother. No. National hymn, and here's where it fails. You can't have no national hymn in a settler state. There is no nation. There are many different nations in this settler state. You think the you think the uh, the Choctaw, you think the Seminole, do you think the Creek, do you think the Cherokee, do you think the Iroquois, you think that any of them people would say, take our song and make it the national hymn? Hell no, because they're the home team. They're the ones that got rolled on. We don't want this. Look at the people. Look at the people. I know you're wondering what they're doing. We're just standing there watching you make a fool. I pity the fool. What are you doing? Did you reek? You ain't never sang verse three of that anthem. Here's what I want. Before you speak on making this the national hymn, two things you need to do. Number one, you go look at a place where they put a war anthem with a hymn as a national song and see how that worked out. I'm going to get you where to look whether to have you go research it. I know you know it. That would be South Africa. That would be South Africa. Africa. God bless Africa. They mashed it up with that old white nationalist hymn, uh, anthem. I'm sorry, the difference between a hymn and an anthem. One time I'll fight another one time about God. They don't. It's like, oh, let's make this uh, oil and water. The hell. And then in the testimony, was it the head of the, uh, head of the board of NLACP? I think it was. Oh, my God. Yeah, do you know the history? Do you read Imani Perry's book on Lift Every Voice and Sing? Have you looked at the history? Do you do you understand that the, at one time the NAACP adopted Lift Every Voice and Sing as their official song? James Wilton Johnson was the first black secretary of the NAACP. He and his brother James Rosemont coming out of Jacksonville, Florida. Do you even know the history? The guy who's over the border, uh, the chair of the board of the NAACP, said, well, we're not talking about replacing the national anthem. Oh, I would have said, excuse me, you ain't got to worry about that. Hireling and slave. In case you needed a reminder, that's you. And the second thing in that I would say is, before you not say make this the national hymn, why don't you go sing the third verse of the national anthem with your hand over your heart when them lapel pins that ain't disguising the fact that nobody will ever trust you, Black, because they ain't looking at the lapel pin of the flag. They're looking at the lapel pin of your face. So the whole point is that you could get shot, too, by the paddle rollers. 
So when you got your hand, I want you to sing Harling and Slave. I want to hear it come out your mouth. Not just the first verse. They trained us to sing all three verses of the so-called Black National Anthem. Forget Black National Anthem. Negro hymn. Negro National hymn. Clyburn understands that. You can't have a hymn. Why? Because uh, last time I checked, the God of the settler colony called the United States, yeah, that ain't the God my mama was praying to. They ain't doing tell them God is real. Yeah, that ain't, she ain't talking about the God of capitalism. She's not talking about the God of materialism. She's not talking about the God of racism, white supremacy. Because see, the God that they used to have us praying to, that God is white. And it ain't just in terms of skin color, because God knows the day that I thought I would see a black Jesus in Canaan, New Baptist Church, where I grew up, where the church fans and everything else had that uh, hippie-looking dude with the lamb under one arm and the heart out in front of him with the thorns around it glowing and shit, scaring the child children. Now, that, all that stuff's gone. It's beautiful. Now it's black. <laughs> I love it. We didn't grow up, but that ain't even the point. We're not talking about iconography now. We're talking about spirituality and concepts. And Congressman, you can't have a national hymn in the United States of America because there is no nation. We do not believe in the same thing. And if you're going to pray to the same thing they praying to, well, hell, you might as well run out there and say, shoot me now. Just say, shoot. you should say, I, I, this is a bill called shoot me now. They don't <laughs> give a damn. They don't give a damn. They gonna, maybe they'll vote for it. And once they vote for it, you'll be like, yes. Wait, what? I'm sorry. I just saw on my phone that they killed a black woman. They kicked in her door, blew her brains out, and said, oh, my bad. How that hymn working out for you, though? Maybe we'll get there and sing the hymn. Can we sing the hymn? You mad? Oh, that's them silent tears. Mm, but you didn't stay focused. So now what you praying for? Another generation to do what you just did? Oh, as my as my cousin Lane said yesterday, over my mom bite said, Mama Carr, uh, auntie used to say to me, Lane, you know, you gotta be careful who who you following behind. And she and he, and then Lane said, "It's like that story." The little boy look at his daddy and said, "Daddy, how can I follow in your footsteps when you just walking everywhere, all around? Can't nobody follow in your footsteps, Congressman, if you just walking all around. And certainly, if it's a straight line to them, we're gonna say, you see them footsteps there? Good, got it. Okay, now we're going that way. Do <laughs> you understand? I'm gonna start with okay. <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that because I, I respect the elder, but damn. Well, you, you do what you do, which right. is to tell the truth. Um, I remember sitting in class with Carr and realizing it was a phenomenon when certain people, when, when you started opening it up for questions and then people popped in and I was like, I didn't know they were watching. I didn't know they were watching. Oh. And since you're talking about music, let me bring in uh, a music, uh, or Grammy nominated, uh, award-winning, amazing person and got that temple connection with you, Miss Jean Baylor. <laughs> Congratulations, Jean. Y'all been rocking and rolling, yo. What's going on? Hello, hello. Thank y'all. Yeah, it's, it, listen, it's been a good uh, year or two, and we just we just trying to keep it going. But, but, um, but before before you say anything, tell the people maybe some people in here who don't know what's been going on <laughs> since we since we since the first time we talked. Tell us. Yes. <laughs> So my husband and I have a, a group band, a jazz band called the Baylor Project. A and, group called the Baylor um, Project, you know, maybe yeah, y'all heard of it. Yeah, group. <laughs> <laughs> our first record was um, nominated for two Grammys, and our second one called. And it's interesting because the second, the first one was called The Journey, yes. and then the second one that we put out just last year, about six seven months ago, 
It's called Generations, and um, that got nominated for Best Jazz Vocal uh, Grammy, so we'll see what it's going to do in April, and we got nominated for NAACP Image Award as well, so it's been some good, good, good um, times, so, and 20-something, maybe 30 years ago, I'm losing count now. Um, <laughs> you lose count, right? Yeah, yeah I'm like, good. what is it? It's like, what did them 30 years go? What? I, anyway, they, yeah. I don't know where they went, but I, I was an R&B devotee. Yeah, so I transitioned out of R&B and jazz. I mean, we just do R&B too because we got you know nominated for R&B Grammy like two years ago. So things have been really, really, really good. But I am, I'm just excited to be a part of your hundredth episode and to congratulate y'all because this has been an amazing journey just kind of seeing y'all just started just having a conversation and we need to go live and everybody like what what is it oh my god and I already told you I first time I tuned in I was looking at you and I was like oh that's some nice tile behind him on the and then I was like that ain't tile those are books I was like dang how many books are <laughs> okay Kai you hear that you hear me Jean I, I am a book hoarder but there's a purpose you know there's a purpose <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm always looking at homes. I'm like, that's a nice tile. Like, a nice that's tile, not right? tile. No. <laughs> no. My wallpaper is books, right? I love it. I love it. But I want to just celebrate y'all because y'all have literally, like, y'all are being a huge part of impacting an entire generation, the consciousness of a generation. Mm. And I already told you about my history woes. Like, I would be sleeping up. Yes. And I'm like, y'all got me, like, tuned up. Like, mm, I need to check this out. I need to read this. I need to learn this and starting to try to connect the dots. But y'all are, you and Cameron are really, really impacting mm. people in such a way where, like, I'm never going to be a historian or anything like that. I'm never going to be, like, a academic um yes. i do what i do with music i teach it manhattan school you. music no question no question Generation and i never wanted to do it yes yes those concepts but yes. let me tell you y'all in y'all impact in such a way where i never heard the idea or concept of ways of knowing but that's such an inherent part of our culture where i started like just teaching and i'm going off because i didn't go to school for education i went for performance so i'm like okay here we go we're gonna figure this out and I've realized that I teach in a, in a very intuitive way. Yes. And I was, it came to me, I was like, that's what Dr. Carl was talking about, ways of knowing. Because yes. I find different ways to explain the same information to different students based on any number of things, where they are, where they're coming from, where they're trying to go, who they are, blah, blah, blah. So y'all like just impacting us in a way where it's going into different areas, like whether it's teaching or how we create music or even the idea of generations. I wouldn't, you know, it's just, it came to me over a meal of sitting with some elders in their homes over a home cooked breakfast with some biscuits. And they were sharing stories of like the meter man, which I'd never heard of with the well, refrigerator. The meter man, read the meters, yeah. Yeah, I was like, why did you have a meter on the refrigerator? Just and we're cracking up and i'm like i got it i got it i said the album's gonna be generations i don't know what's gonna be but it's gonna be this and it song by song came together so y'all are real everything that y'all are doing is really like just impacting so many people in our everyday lives and what we do and how we what we put out in the world and so just i'm just i'm excited for y'all and just i'm excited to be here and, and celebrate it for us, for us <laughs> just, seriously to teaching you reach more people. I think about K-12 teachers, university teachers, you know, people go to school for education. But what you just described, that's the real teaching and learning. Sitting with those elders, having their food, 
and then the light goes on and you get that with the Egyptians that say by eat. And then you go out and teach people. You'll never know. All of us listening to that music. So you celebrating. We're celebrating ourselves. And when you came on the first time, y'all both came on. I mean, just people understand. I think that's one of the important spaces like this. It's important for us to see ourselves. You're holding up a mirror. And people say, oh, me too? What do you mean you too? It's always us. Yes, it's always <laughs> us. Stop listening to these people that say, okay, well, this is an expert, so you should listen to them. No, we grant authority based on somebody's developed capacity. We acknowledge so those elders were entrusting you. Okay, you got it? Okay, go. I got it. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> you know can, can we yeah. still vote for you for the uh, NAACP or is that closed? Is the vote I don't closed? know. All right, I'm I think it might be closed. Okay. Yeah. I have no idea if it's closed or not. <laughs> I you should know, know these things. That, that, is the, that is one of the central marks of the master teachers, humility. Wow. You oh. asked her something, can we still vote for you? She said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking, <laughs> I didn't make this for that. I'm, I'm glad we got it. I'm glad we moved. I don't even know if you can still, I can't. Uh, <laughs> and I love how you always tie music into everything. It cracks me up every time. I'd be like, there you go. To. And I grew up Baptist, so I know every darn hymn and oh, hymn. She was, and she was singing right along with you. I was going to pull her in. Yeah. Do a duet. Not, not right along with me. It should have been instead of me because we got somebody who can sing. No. <laughs> and let me tell you another time you blessed Come me. Come on. When you were, you, I don't know what you were talking about, a particular episode, but you brought in the hymn. The communion hymn, let us pray, pray together on our knees. And that is one of my favorite. We would sing that every first Sunday. Would you, would you, Karen, I know we go, Gene, would you please, I know. Yeah. Would you please sing that song right now? Yes. Let us break bread together on our knees. And my favorite part, because when you said this came from Islam, and I had yes. no idea. When I fall on my knees with my face mm. to the rising sun, mm. oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Listen here. Mm. I did not know about that. And you said that it it mm. it I already am in love with that song from since I was a little girl. But when you said that it it again brought in that African consciousness of like, because I always like, man, we, we lost so much stuff, we lost so much. But in that song, we didn't lose that, even though we didn't actually know no. when I fall on my face. Um, when I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, I was like, wow, we, oh. we kept a piece of that lineage, oh. even if we didn't even know it. That's that right. blessed me to this day. I say, I say, you just blessed us. <laughs> you took, look, you took me right back to where we were not old enough to take communion, because yeah. that was the communion song when they passed oh. out the wine. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Grape juice. It was the grape, grape juice, right, right. We were standing in the same kitchen. My mom and sister Gentry used to prepare the grape juice. You couldn't get none until you joined the church. <laughs> so how many black children, untold numbers, mm. were saying, I'm gonna join the church to get at that juice? <laughs> no, but, but that was the song. You took me, right, I was sitting, I, I had to oh. tear up. Thank you so oh. much. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yes. Baylor. 
Oh, love you so much. Love Ooh. you, Karen. Love you, love you, Dr. Carl. No, great. Please love you. Thank I love you, Jane. Oh. oh.